good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaker. Something evil. I don't understand. Who needs a knife in a nuke fight anyway? All you gotta do is push a button. Sir? Not recommended for impressionable children. It came from Cleveland. Welcome to it. For June 18th, 2021, I think. What is this, episode 12 now? I think it's episode 12. So yeah, we've got a lot of crazy big fun for everybody tonight on the show. Uh, we've got, uh, we're going to start off with a few uh, movie recommendations from me and some celebrity birthdays uh, that coincide with celebrity birthdays, too, who happen to share the same birthday as me, uh, which is exciting, June 15th. And, of course, uh, and then in our next segment, Miles, hello, Miles, you're going to be telling us about uh, somebody rather infamous. The, uh, yeah, the Battle of Little Bighorn, General Custer. Which uh, happened June 25th, what yes, year? June 25th. What year? 1876, um, the centennial of the nation. Ah, okay, all right. So, uh, yeah, and uh, and of course, uh, Joe Santorza is here with us as well. Hello, Joe. It didn't happen in Scranton, I'm going to tell you that. It didn't, but it might have no. happened at American uh, <laughs> International Pictures. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Michelle and Joe and I are, are we, we um, today, oh, not today, but the um, we just had a birthday for uh, Samuel Z. Arkoff, is, that's his name, right? Um, right. Yeah, and his birthday was June 12th. He was the co-founder of American International Pictures, who Michelle knows and loves because that's where a lot of the classic Poe movies were made and a lot starring your boy. Heck yeah, Vincent Price. He was a big star of theirs. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Roger Corman. I have a fascinating story about Roger Corman's final film with American International Pictures. And it's a weird film. I found, I kind of went a little bit different instead of doing just horror. I do have a horror trailer uh, for you, though, for my, my segment tonight. But um, but there's one movie I'm going to do a deep dive in that I'm excited to share with you guys. And, uh, Joe, I think you'll get a kick out of this one. It was very much a product of, 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 the, of 1970. Um, so it, it, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've got a couple other movies picked out, uh, for everybody, but yeah, this is exciting. So Joe, you're going to be talking about the, the, I was a teen, this, that, and the other thing, uh, cycle. (laughs) Yeah. We have a, a teen, uh, theme, a teen theme, (laughs) team theme, (laughs) team theme, theme majors and a little, and a little bit that American international pictures did, you know, they did all the beach movies. Uh, they did some of the beach movies, yeah. And we're going so. to talk about one of the villains. Ah, yes. I have a little bit of audio for you. 
Uh, and uh, I think it goes like this. You I don't like. You he don't like. There you go. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, the first clip I played there in the intro of the show, uh, Jake Busey. I don't understand. Who needs a knife in a nuke fight anyway? All you got to do is push a button. Sir. Sir. Put your hand on that wall. <laughs> I don't know if any, everybody's seen Paul Verhoeven's uh, classic Starship Troopers, but it is a movie that is it is twenty four years old. And I'll tell you what I I would put that movie's CGI up against anything from today, and you know it it, it just to show to show how well the visual effects department did. Uh, with with the computer generated, the, I mean the bugs, the ships, the, s the space travel, all of it is just glorious. And of course, it has some pretty great signature practical effects. Uh, uh, you know that Paul Verhoeven's known for. Of course, you know uh, he did uh, RoboCop and um, uh, did he did he do Naked Lunch too? I think he might have. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But he I did. remember the movie. <laughs> yeah, he. I think he did a Total Recall. Uh, Paul Verhoeven's done a ton of great stuff, um, and I, it, it escapes me exactly what um, what else he's done. But this movie, I love because it's a it's a great satire. Yeah, it, it got really panned at the time for being like kind of a, you know, um, uh, a a teeny bopper kind of movie where it's just like, you know, a bunch of hot kids in space, you know, killing bugs. And it was just, you know, gore for the sake of gore, but it really wasn't. It, it, it had some really great, uh, satire, uh, you know, against like the military industrial complex. Um, and, uh, and miles favorite subject, you know, propaganda to try and, you know, sell uh, a cause. And, um, but this movie, uh, again, the, the special effects for it are just stunning. But anyway, here is, uh, here's the trailer from 1997's Starship Troopers. If you haven't seen this one, I highly recommend it. It's wildly entertaining. It is gruesome. It is disgusting. But it has some really great moments in it and a great cast, including Neil Patrick Harris and Jake Busey, both born June 15th. Every age, there is a cause worth fighting for. But in the future, the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all. Hey, kid, what's going on? It's war! We're going to war! Now, the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with first wave. You smash the entire area. You kill anything that has more than two legs. You get me? We get you, sir! But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. Now! Someone made a damn mistake! No! 
bugs laid a trap for us, didn't they? TriStar Pictures takes you to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all! Starship Troopers. Great movie, great cast, great movie, uh, and it, you know it, it had um, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Ironside, what the Michael Ironside? Is that his name? Yeah, uh, Ironside, uh, Cl- Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown, yeah. So uh, I, I will say, in the movie's defense, uh, yeah, I know you'd say there's a lot of gore, but they did censor the violence on the cow. They did. <laughs> <laughs> but not a, not on the bugs though your basic arachnid no. warrior isn't too smart but you can blow off a limb it's still 86 percent combat effective here's a tip aim for the nerve stem and put it down for good there you go boy does he sound young neil patrick harris uh, oh yeah well he was young he was in his 20s and now he's like 50 well uh, 40s i think he's a couple years younger than me agree with you the special effects are absolutely spectacular the only uh, the the only um uh special effects that i saw in it were uh that were a little sketchy were the was the the brain bug towards the end uh when you saw its whole body from a distance um it seemed like they couldn't quite nail the texture to get the color to look more realistic but it still looked better than the Jab of the Hut scenes that um, you know Lucas put in, or all the additional CGI he tried to squeeze into the um, you know the original Star Wars trilogy. You know, I mean, some of that was just embarrassing. Um, did not hold up. But yeah, so uh, yeah, who else was in it? Uh, Patrick, yeah, Patrick Muldoon uh, was in it. He's he was a big soap actor. Um, it also had. Um, uh, oh gosh, the the brother the brother in law from Breaking Bad. I can't remember what his name is, um, but uh, e- e- let me see. Um, oh gosh, the the cast is pretty big. I can't find his name, but anyway, he's the guy who played uh, um, the uh, uh, oh Dean Norris. Dean Norris. A, a lot of people recognize him from. He was in Breaking Bad. Uh, he also had a um, he was in Total Recall, Terminator 2, uh, just tons of stuff. Um, and uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, he was just in in 2019. Um, but yeah, and he just had a, a, a series that I think it got canceled. Um, it was called The the Dome or something like that. It was a sci-fi made-for-TV series. And gosh, I can't find it here. Uh, Under the Dome, uh, which lasted uh, from 2013 to 2015. So, um, but anyway, yeah, fantastic movie. I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, and uh, you know, again, if if you haven't seen it, it's it's just great. There's a lot of tongue in cheek stuff that uh, you know, and it's it like a lot of the humor that that RoboCop had. It, th- this is kind of like almost a spiritual sequel to RoboCop, you know, except instead of like police propaganda, 
it's military propaganda, which arguably is one and the same anymore, right? <laughs> right, right. True. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so now the uh, the next one, uh, our next birthday that we have, uh, 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 just an absolute gem, uh, Isabella Fiorella Eloretta Giovanna Rossellini. Uh, Isabella Rossellini. Uh, but that's her full name. She was born uh, June 18th today in 1952 um and she is uh she's just done a a a lot of really cool kind of off the wall kind of stuff um and you know been in you know a ton of films too but obviously you know she's going to be forever known for what is it from the mind of david lynch comes a modern day masterpiece so startling so provocative so mysterious that it will open your eyes to a world you have never seen before. Blue Velvet. Yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> that was the pretty much That's the old, a weird movie. <laughs> it is. It is. You want weird? You got weird. Um. But of course, this was uh. You know, uh, a classic film. You know, with uh, uh, Dennis Hopper in one of his creepiest roles ever as Frank Booth. Um, and of course, uh, a, a good vehicle for Kyle MacLachlan and Laura Dern, uh, and, uh, an epic legendary performance from Dean Stockwell, uh, who we just discussed a, a while back when we talked about, um, the, uh, Dunwich Horror, right? And, uh, but he's done some really great stuff. I just saw him, I saw Dean Stockwell and was it Wagon Train or something like that? Or, or Guns of Paradise? I don't know what it was. He, uh, it was uh, every once in a while I'll leave on me TV and the westerns will go and I just kind of putter around and do whatever else, and I walked in and I was like, and he's playing, and there's Dean Stockwell, um, and he's playing a young Mexican boy. He did a pretty good job, but it's like you know, seriously, did they cast white people for everything back then? <laughs> yes, you know? they did. Yeah. So, uh, but he also uh, was uh, was a uh, was on Battlestar Galactica. Yes, the the reboot. Yeah, absolutely. Reboot. So I'm gonna see if I can find the. Uh, oh my god, the you know you know you've you've got a big filmography when you have a separate Wikipedia page for uh, performances. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, oh gosh, I doubt I'm gonna be able to find uh, Cattle Drive. No, uh, yeah, I mean he started as a child actor too, so. Um, but yeah, he was, uh, um, yeah, I can't find, I can't find his, uh, oh, that's, that's film, not television. Bonanza? Nope. That was a different one. <laughs> he was in, he was basically in every, uh, Wagon Train. Yeah. He was, uh, he played four different characters in Wagon Train. <laughs> he played Will Santee, Rodney Lawrence, Juan Ortega, and Jimmy Drew. Oh, <laughs> that, that's a range! Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so that was wagon train. Wagon train's not bad. There was a couple episodes I actually kind of got drawn into. I never saw it before, but yeah. So, so uh, here we go. Let's. Uh, uh, here's the uh, uh, blue velvet. Uh, th this. I, it was hard for me to find a trailer that actually had some dialogue from the movie in it. A lot of more very music and visual heavy. Uh, but I found they uh, they made a. A newer one for the digital release of Blue Velvet, and here it is. Beneath the surface, 
of the perfect small town. A dark world awaits. Are you the one that found the year? You know anything? Well, one name that keeps coming up is this woman's singer. I bet someone could learn a lot by getting into that woman's apartment. I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert. Well, it's for me to know and you to find out. What are you doing in my apartment? I close my eyes. Are I you a bad boy? Away. this one that beer's gonna get warm one thing i can't fucking stand is warm beer makes me fucking puke <laughs> hope hope you put the kids to bed everybody frank booth is in here <laughs> he's on the loose um well, depends on the type of beer some beer is good warm well yeah yeah it, it but it, it would still make frank booth puke so <laughs> he's a very particular man <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah, there are some beers, uh, Guinness, apparently a lot of people like warm, so, um, or room temperature, but anyway, yeah, so, uh, uh, Joe, have you seen Blue Velvet? Never. Never? Oh, yeah, it's wild, you gotta check it out, uh, you wanna see Dennis Hopper just completely unglued, um, uh, you gotta see it, so he's it is. unglued naturally. Well, yeah, yes. he's not much anything anymore. Um, so (laughs) unfortunately we lost him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's a great film. I, I highly recommend it. And I'm, I'm assuming Miles has probably seen it, uh, via Michelle. Has not. I have, I saw it before him. So. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Great, great film. Great film. So, um, and then, uh, kind of a, one of a little, uh, throwaway, uh, recommendation. Um, it's on Netflix. It came out in, um, uh, 2018. I think that this is a movie I, uh, that I think Joe would enjoy if you haven't seen it already, but it stars Will Forte. Will Forte has, uh, his birthday, uh, this week as well. Um, and uh, but this this film is is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, he was born June seventeenth, so yesterday. Happy birthday, uh, Will Forte. Um, and uh, he just turned fifty one. Fifty one years young. But uh, this is a movie. I don't know if you've seen it, Joe, but it's about National Lampoon magazine called A Futile and Stupid Gesture. Nope. Yeah, well, Will Forte plays the the founder of the magazine, and uh, it's all it's all fictionalized, and it's kind of funny because there's a whole bunch of modern comedians cast as like 
all the old SNL actors and stuff like that in it. And, you know, uh, it's, it's really wild. It's, it's, uh, uh, but it's, it's a fun movie, but obviously it deals a lot with the excesses of the seventies and, uh, and, and how it, uh, was wrecking people's lives, uh, you know, drugs, uh, uh, alcohol, whatnot. And, um, uh, but yeah, so here is the trailer for A Futile and Stupid Gesture. Could you just introduce yourself? My name is Doug Kenny. I started the uh, National Lampoon. What if you say, I was the man who changed comedy forever, but I couldn't change myself? Really? Blow me. If we're running our own magazine, we can do anything we want. We can publish knock-knock jokes. Knock-knock. Who's that? Me. Me here. Me not doing the magazine. <laughs> That can go in issue one. <laughs> it's a total failure. We're selling less than half our print run. You're not gonna hurt him, right? No. <gasps> what are you doing? Don't worry, I don't think there's any bullets in there. I got you. The Mormons are protesting. The feminists hate us. What do we do to the Catholics? Liza Minnelli? We are being sued by Disney. Maybe it wasn't such a hot idea to have Minnie Mouse flashing her tits. She has pasties on. <laughs> Ready, girls? Three, two, one. Catherine, I'm the woman you're hitting on. Doug Kenny, Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Live from New York, it's Saturday night! We're barely able to put out a magazine. Then let's barely be able to do something else. The first National Lampoon movie. Laser, Laser orgy girls. Doug Kenny, Chagrin Falls, Ohio. One of the writers of Animal House. Food fight! You call this success? Mostly an excuse to party. You've ruined this company. I can't come back a failure. I do care about you, Doug. Laugh, goddammit! You need to see someone. Inside that bungalow, some of the creators of Animal House are working on their next movie, Caddyshack. And I'm sure it's gonna be just as crazy. Dog, we need to decide. Is it clear he's jerking his dick off here? Yeah, because we can make it higher or lower depending on the size of my dog. These actors don't look exactly like the real people. But come on, do you think I look like Will Forte when I was 27? You think Will Forte is 27? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. This is for the magazine, right? So yeah, there you go. A futile and stupid gesture. It is. It's fun. It's crass. It. It's. Uh. You know. Again, kind of. Uh. uh you know. Just documenting the the craziness of National Lampoon and the movies they were making and the debauchery that surrounded them. And uh, it's it's a fun movie. Uh. And of course, I don't know if you recognize the voice, but um. That the actor playing the guy who found it, uh, uh, Doug Kenny, um. That actually was uh, Martin Mull playing a fictionalized older version and Will Forte playing the younger version. So, uh, cool. you know, it, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, this is a good one. If you, if you have Netflix, I think it should still be there. It's a Netflix original, I believe. So, uh, check that out. I guess say, um, cherry bomb. Yay. Great music. <laughs> I knew you would like that. I knew I, you know, getting the runaways in there for Michelle. Definitely. Oh, uh, yeah. The, you know, a good selling point. 
So, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So look at that Joan Jet reference two two weeks in a row, and um, uh, and we're we're actually gonna we, we talked about Teen Wolf last week, and we're gonna talk about another Michael who played another teenage wolf, <laughs> Michael That's Landon. The better the one in my in my opinion. Oh no, there, <laughs> n- no argument there. Uh, just you know, just drawing upon the parallels uh, of our show. Um, but anyway, yeah, so there's three movies for everybody to check out, uh, with, uh, again, happy birthday to Neil Patrick Harris, to, um, Jake Busey, uh, and Jake Busey, I did not realize he's in Stranger Things season three. So, um, that's kind of cool. And, um, I might want to watch it now. Um, and then, uh, uh, of course, uh, Blue Velvet, Is- Isabella Rossellini, and A Stupid and Futile Gesture with Will Forte. Happy birthday to all of our living celebrities on the show tonight. <laughs> and uh, on that note, uh, we're going to go ahead and go to break just a skosh early because uh, we don't want to cut into Miles' time too much. Uh, we're going to learn all about uh, Custer's Last Stand. Um, and, uh, yeah, and see what a fun time that was for the fella. <laughs> yeah. Uh, couldn't happen to a nicer guy, right? Oh, exactly. And I just gotta make sure I get the right music queued up here, because I just realized I didn't load up, uh, all my stuff, but it's okay. I can stall for time here. Um, but anyway, let's hear from Jake Busey one more time. I don't understand! Who needs a knife in a nuke fight anyway? All you gotta do is push a button, sir.
quiet guns. No one is born to suffer, but I wanna kill another. Streak night for the boys and girls. Dead babies in a stagnant world. season two lately <laughs> season two's weird versus one i didn't realize how much it changed when in the season two when i was a kid i we must not have watched it season two very much but i do remember hawk but i don't know we had poor tv reception when i was a kid uh anyway welcome back uh to the program joe welcome hello hi hi hello uh, hello there and uh michelle of course welcome back to you I am here. All right. And Miles, uh, you have been uh, champing at the bit to talk about old General yes. Custer. General Lay Custer on. at the Battle of Little Bighorn. And he was a lieutenant colonel, not a general. He was a ah. major general during the Civil War. Ah, I see. But that was a breveted, which is like an honorary promotion. So anyway. Okay. So 
Uh, right. Custer. George Amadeus Custer. Amadeus? <laughs> That's Armstrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was uh, worried there that he was up so uh, 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 closer. <laughs> so he had, he, he um, fought with uh, Sheridan, the General Sheridan of the, uh, in the, during the Civil War, who's uh, famous for Sheridan's march down through Georgia, where, um, yeah, that, 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 there are some real, like, bad things that were revealed in that uh, whole, I mean, torching, oh yeah, it was horrible, but, but at least Custer, I mean, kind of, I guess, did well, I mean, at the end of the war, he, uh, he stole a thoroughbred horse, um, what a nice so guy, his, yeah, yeah, great, <laughs> so, and, um, one part about the Little Bighorn. So it's it's well known that it was a absolute slaughter that the uh, that the U.S. lost to the Sioux, to the uh, Native American forces uh, uh, during the Sioux War. There. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to present the context of the fight before I, I get into it, so we understand the the um, circumstances around it. Okay. So the fight happened in. Crow territory. The Crow were a nation of uh, Indians that were not in violation of their uh, treaty and sending, uh, you know, and Indians, you know, leaving their reservations. The fight actually happened in the Crow reservation. The Lakota were a, uh, a tribe of Indians that were invading the Crow territory. And the, um, just a quick side note, uh, when Custer was killed, I mean, there were, he had his defenders, most notably his wife, who was well, very, you know, yeah, no surprise there. Stand by your man. Yes. And, uh, she, she was very much uh, into portraying him as a, you know, fallen hero. Anyway, <laughs> so, but, um, the crow, the crow tribe also, uh, wept at news of his death. Because of uh, you know they valued him helping to protect their uh, nation from the Lakota invasions, but uh, eventually the uh, U.S. won, and so the Crow Nation was saved from future incursions. But I, I digress. So um, the things that Custer did wrong. So Custer, having experience in the civil in the civil war and and fighting uh, uh indians in other uh places was his biggest concern was not that he would be outnumbered and uh his his crow scouts warned him like dude this is the biggest group of indians we've ever seen you know it, so he, it's not like they he wasn't warned his biggest concern was that the enemy would split up and then he'd have to chase them down which would have been annoying that mm. was his concern and so in preparation for this battle instead of you know uh you know concentrating your forces he his his regiment was composed of 12 companies and he divided his forces. <laughs> oh. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. When you split your forces up, you're just, yeah. So in one way of thinking of it, yes. If you want to prevent someone from escaping, splitting up your forces is useful because you can then surround them. But up against superior numbers, splitting your forces is uh, stupid. Mm. So he had 12 companies and he divided three companies under the command un, uh, under a, a, a Reno. I don't, I uh, made a major Marcus Reno and he divided another three companies under captain Frederick Benteen. And uh, re the three companies in Reno were assigned to attack the uh, Indians from the South. Benteen was sent off a little bit to the South and to the West to kind of scout and be a little bit of a backup to the column. I don't know what that's about, but um, the other uh, uh, Custer took five companies and went to the north. He circled around to go and attack from the north, and that left one company, B Company, and they were charged with protecting the supply wagons. Okay, um, so that that's the twelve. Now, so that was his. That was his biggest mistake, uh, I think, is uh, splitting up his forces. Now, prior to going uh, into uh, battle, he was offered additional troops by General Terry on June the 21st, comprising uh -huh. of four additional companies from the 2nd Cavalry. And Custer, um, let's just use the word arrogant, declined these uh, uh, reinforcements, stating that he could whip any Indian village on the plains with his own regiment, and that extra troops would simply be a burden. <laughs> wow, bright guy. I mean, as, right, I mean, as far as, as I mean, you, you can see how the arrogance of him was just like, pfft. it's like um, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin arrogance. Retreat in a moment of triumph? Anyway, so... <laughs> Another um, error in judgment is that when uh, he left behind on a steamer called the Far West in, in, on, I guess, the Yellowstone River, a battery of Gatling guns. So Gatling's pretty famous, uh, but a Gatling gun, you know, multi-barreled weapon, high rate of fire, mm -hmm. and is a very devastating weapon against, um, you know, uh, a, a mass of enemies. You just pump bullets into the enemies until, you know, and it's a highly demoralizing weapon, too. Uh, it, it, it no doubt would have had an effect on the fight. But he was uh, more concerned about, again, preventing their uh, escape than he was about um, forming a, 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 a last stand, if you will, and, and using the Gatling guns to mow the enemy down. Mm-hmm. So the Gatling guns were left behind. Oh, oh, also, all of his, his sabers, their swords, all of the troops and all of the officers boxed up their wep their swords and put them in, on the wagons so they didn't have their swords with them. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so no hand-to-hand -hand weapons when uh, uh, this massive uh, Indians came down on them like a, like a ton of bricks. Um, so the strategy 
of Custer. He had written a book about how to fight Indians. And the strategy of this guy was that he wanted to rush in into the Indian uh, encampment and secure the non-combatants, women, children, and the elderly, hmm. and use them to force the combatant Indians into not wanting to fight anymore. So it was sort of like a uh, using them as, as human shields, I suppose, or sure. as a bargaining chip. Or you know, if the combatants come in, there's the danger of harming their own families and whatnot. But I mean, that I that was the mindset, I guess, back then using, uh, you know, <laughs> women and children as, as as human shields against the enemy. Yeah, and, real uh, real brave guy. I I yeah, I mean. Modern thinking, like, like you know, Kenny, you and I, I, I mean, you just, that kind of a thought would be alien to us. It would be abhorrent. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just like you do what? I mean, just hold, you know, you, it's just, but uh, yeah, you know, back, back in the day. So um, apparently that, that plan went to hell in a handbasket. So <laughs> the, uh, the, um, the Sioux uh, apparently were not not uh, not that much willing to stop fighting, and uh, there are rumors, e there there are words even that the women um, came out and were waving blankets at the horses that uh, that the troops had had dismounted to scare them off. Because wow. uh, I'll talk a little bit about um, army protocol about uh, t standards of uh, combat. So cavalry, we think th this was the 7th Cavalry, and we think of the cavalry as, you know, going in and fighting on horseback. Nope. Mm -hmm. That's not what they did. They would ride up to a position and dismount. And then every fourth cavalryman would be responsible for holding the horses of three other cavalrymen. So in essence, 25% of your fighting force was busy holding four horses. Wow. Just, just imagine that picture, right? I mean, you're, you're, you've got your, I mean, your, your, your horse is your mode of transportation. It's mm -hmm. your life out on the uh, plains of America, which are vast, vast distances. And so the horses are valuable. You don't want to lose them. And uh, so one man out of every four was assigned the task of holding onto the horses, which Jeez. tells you, you know, that, that right off the bat, you're looking at he Custer had what five companies under his command. That's basically a little more than one company assigned to hold onto horses in, in, in this in this fight. That's so, working. That's working harder, not smarter. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just it, it's it's really. I mean, uh, I mean, back in the day. I mean, I guess I understand. Um, so Reno was, I think, the first to engage. He attacked in from the south, but he had, um, I guess, a little more horse sense uh, in that <laughs> one. <laughs> Thank you. So when he saw the encampment and how, how big it was, 
he ordered a dismounting and to you know form a form up lines mm -hmm. so that he could uh, you know hold a, a defensive position. And Custer apparently, without uh, Gatling guns to slow him down, just rode you know all the way up to the north using some hills and tree lines as cover to not really see what he was up against. And when he went in, uh, yeah, and got quickly just surrounded and. Uh, it was that there's um archaeological digs going on and there's you know it's it's um said that they uh formed a, a last stand on a hill and that's where they died to a man all five all five companies were wiped out everyone died mm -hmm. there was there were no survivors he lost his brother uh and uh a nephew brother-in-laws i mean it was it was just a complete complete loss so there um that's why when i was talking about the the female uh, the women uh, american indians waving blankets yeah. to try and scare the horses that i brought up that that uh, tactic of um you know uh the the military uh, dismounting and what have you mm -hmm. So anyway, back to the archaeological digs. So the archaeological digs um, are disputing that the fight actually kind of ended on one hill, that it was sort of like a running battle, if you will. Yeah. Uh, they found a lot of shells at one location, but there are also there's evidence that um, the uh, some of the remaining men tried to make a breakout and, and make a, a run to try to escape. It failed. Mm -hmm. um, they were they were hunted hunted and run down by the Sioux warriors that were counting coup, which was an in, uh, Indian tactic of trying to get your opponent to surrender or admit defeat. But yeah, I mean, the war is hell. <laughs> that that uh, was it. Sherman that said that. Uh, sounds about right. It sounds right. But. Um, I mean, they were they were talking about the 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 bodies of the uh, American soldiers being um, uh, desecrated and uh, scalped and, and what have you. But uh, just so anyone isn't clear on it, scalping is not a practice that was started by the Indians. It was a practice started by the white man. Bounty hunting. To, oh. Yes, yeah, for bounty hunting. Yes, yep, it was awful. Yes. It's, and uh, that was a Sherman quote, yes. Okay. Right, cool, thank you. So, yes, um, all right. So when you see um, Hollywood depicting, you know, those Western movies and in Indians, you know, scalping, you know, understand that that's not <laughs> history. History belongs, writing history belongs to the victor. And uh, we, we have... Um, pretty much taken that scalping and, and, and posted it on them as a barbaric practice, which in truth, it was us. Uh, shock, shock. So, yeah, yeah, it is. So Custer uh, died. Uh, he suffered a bullet wound to the chest. Uh, they said it would like to be just below the heart on the left side of the chest and a bullet wound to his left temple. Uh, it said that the bullet wound on his chest was the one that was bleeding, so that was probably the mortal wound. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, uh, the 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 shot to the head was, I don't know, probably just 
a coup de gras or a um, just like I said, you know, the, the Indians making sure that they were dead. Sure. And uh, one of the um, um, in uh, Indian accountings is that they didn't even know Custer was in the battle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was. It's sort of like <laughs> you know they they were just. Someone shows up at their front door and starts attacking, and they just like, okay, they, they all gather up and go and kick their asses. This is this is another aspect of it in that um, as the troops, as the the cavalrymen were falling, the um, uh, Indian uh, warriors would go up and take the weapons off of the dead and the bullets and the ammunition and turn it and use it on the remaining uh, living uh, cavalrymen. So throughout the fight, you've got the uh, firepower of the cavalry depleting and the firepower of the Indians increasing. So it's a, it's a, yeah, that's a no-win scenario there when your enemy is just using your own weapons against you. Definitely yeah. a, a, a losing propos proposition. So, uh, as I mentioned before, there are those that were um, trying to posthumously uh, paint Custer as a hero and, uh, and whatnot, but he did have his uh, detractors, one of them being President Grant, who um, he, he is quoted saying, I regard Custer's massacre as a sacrifice of troops brought on by Custer himself that was wholly unnecessary wholly mm -hmm. unnecessary and so yeah he uh, Custer doesn't have there are some that definitely didn't have his fans so um uh, I'm sure that the fight is still studied to, to this day just as um, like the, the the Battle of Cowpens is studied oh, yeah but if there's one major takeaway I would um, I would argue is that don't ignore your intelligence. He was warned about how powerful uh, the enemy or how numerous mm -hmm. they were. And um, he just had so much arrogance that he just dismissed this intelligence as like, I don't, I don't, I, all I need to do is stop the enemy from escaping. Yeah. So uh, it is, it is, um, so there are monuments. Um, oh, interesting fact, the monument to of this battle, which is uh, at uh, the, the, the river in Montana, is dedicated to the fallen of both sides. That's interesting. Which, which I found interesting. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it is a, a, a testament that, um, I mean, before I would, you could see how, you know, uh, America is always about chest thumping and rah rah yay us and you know, mm -hmm. and, but but uh, but apparently now it is uh, dedicated to the fallen of both sides. So um, that that is that. Anyway, um, I've pretty much hit every little note that I want to do, and I still got some time left over. Well. Uh, no, that's a you know uh, fascinating to see you know what kind of failures uh, that he you know just negligence that led to his demise the the demise of you know all all his men and himself arrogance too totally yeah. 
I mean, just uh, yeah, and, the hubris was wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like oh, and and you and and his battle plan of going in and using the non-combatants as human shields, just wow. Wait, you you broke up there using what? Using the non-combatant as human shields. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gross. So, but yeah, you know they're they're you know they're. It, thank goodness for, that uh, you know uh, people like him do end up uh, getting you know what their just desserts. You know, I, I you know I I hold no uh, you know pity for the guy. I just it's it's what this nation did to it, I mean the genocide. Yeah, I I'll just put it out there. Genocide was committed by this nation um, against the native people. Uh, to to make the nation that we have now, and I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I love our country, but I also I am not that proud of how our country came to be. I mean, there was a so a lot of shit that was done. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to you, you know you, you you have to acknowledge the the failures of of our nation to uh, just be honest with yourself and you know honest about history. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, even now we're um, facing this, I guess I'll call it whitewashing of our history, where they don't even want to talk about what happened in uh, the massacre in Oklahoma City, Tulsa. Yeah. that That's recently been coming out uh, as, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, and, Black and they're Wall fighting Street. to keep, they're fighting to keep that kind of history from being taught. Yeah. And that's just, you know, uh, it's, it is uh, it is a perfect example of the systemic racism that this country has had since its birth. Yeah, it's it's uh, the, you know uh, uh, it's currency for the you know for the most part. But yeah, you know that's uh, and Juneteenth is just around the corner too. So it is. Uh, is it tomorrow? Yes, it's tomorrow. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so no interesting stuff and. Uh, uh, I, I know there, there's a lot of stuff there I did not know uh, about this, but yeah, the you know again, the man's ego got him killed. Um, him and all his men, <laughs> and all his men. Yeah, those foolish enough to, uh, well, well, those that had no choice but to follow him, pretty much. Um, oh, one of the quick uh, uh, desperation moves of the uh, survivors. Apparently, they shot. So remember me talking about one in four guys holding horses. Yeah. So things apparently got so bad so fast. They say this fight lasted the the at the most an hour, and um, it, it's uh, they say it could have happened in as little as uh, half an hour, and according to the Indians, it lasted as long as a hungry man eating a meal. <laughs> wow. Okay. But. Things got so bad, uh, so fast that the uh, cavalry shot their own horses to make breastworks, which is a thing to hide your body behind to to form a def a, a, a impromptu defense, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's just like you know, and then of course they lightsabered open their stomachs and saved the wounded from. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they smelled bad on the outside. So, all right. So, all right. Very good. Well, thank you, Miles. We're going to have to get going to the break here because uh, we got some teenage monsters to talk about. 
And Robert Vaughn. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but no, yeah. I appreciate that, Miles. That, that that's uh, fun stuff and uh, some good history. But we're gonna turn uh, to some more recent history here on It Came From Cleveland, and we're gonna have an hour and a half discussion of American International Pictures, the film legacy. We're only gonna be able to crack the tip of the iceberg, but we'll start with some teen monsters when we come back. So hang tight. We'll be right back with more. It came from Cleveland. And now, on with the show. It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok. When human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. You I don't like. You he don't like. Not recommended for impressionable children. Not at all. Welcome back uh, to It Came From Cleveland, episode 12, where we are celebrating the birthday of Samuel Z. Arkov, co-founder of American International Pictures. Um, and uh, what a fascinating story. And, and, and this is this was kind of a weird thing. We, we had our Wednesday meeting and we were looking for birthdays. And I found this one website that had birthdays, and it said Samuel Z. Arkov, co-founder of American International Pictures. And I'm like, Joe, wasn't... We just watched Sven Gulli, uh, uh, How to Make a Monster, last Saturday. And uh, the and it was about this guy trying to take down American, <laughs> um, American International Pictures uh, because they were doing away with monster movies. Which was kind of fun, and um, and some of the makeup used in that were from uh, a couple of the movies you're going to talk about tonight. They actually recycled some of the monster makeup, and uh, so it was. We were just like, "Oh, wait a second. So we're all Wiki Michelle, <laughs> Michelle, and uh, me and Joe are looking at the Wikipedia, and it's like we're like, "Holy crap! They did so many of the movies we know and love." And I know Michelle's eyes like went ooga when she saw the, <laughs> the, that, the movies. That they did, but what's also funny is because they're you know he uh, American International Pictures was a big Roger Corman, uh, you know he he was in a lot of their stuff. He either directed or produced a yes. lot of their stuff. And what's funny is um, Joe Bob Briggs tonight, the last episode of The Last Drive-In, they are actually talking to Roger Corman on uh, live. While that they're doing two of his cool. movies. So that's amazing. That is too cool. And I will have the story later of Roger Corman's last film for American Independent Pictures. Uh, or American International Pictures. I keep saying independent instead of international. But um, but yeah, so so they the, the history of this company is just absolutely fascinating. Um, and Joe, uh, you, you, uh, you know... Um, I'm sure, uh, let me see, American International Pictures, sorry, I'm getting to the Wikipedia page. Um, but uh, it, it was it was co-founded by uh, 
James H. Nicholson and Samuel Z. Arkov. And what was really fascinating is there's something that didn't age well. Uh, and it was called the Arkov Formula, which is named after Samuel Z. Arkov. A-R-K-O-F-F. And the um, they they did this uh, to to try and do a you know make a formula to get people to watch their movies, and it was pretty effective. But again, maybe didn't age too well uh, um, in certain parts. But uh, but Arkov that stands for uh, action, exciting, entertaining drama, revolution, uh, novel or controversial themes and ideas, killing a modicum of violence. Oratory, notable dialogue and speeches. Fantasy, uh, acted out fantasies common to the audience. Fornication, sex appeal for young adults. And um, it says, uh, later the AIP public, uh, publicity department devised a strategy called the Peter Pan syndrome. Ooh. <laughs> and it goes, uh, A, a younger child will watch anything an older child will watch. B, an older child will not watch anything a younger child will watch. C, a girl will watch anything a boy will watch. D, a boy will not watch anything a girl will watch. Therefore, to catch your greatest audience, you zero in on the 19-year-old male. So, uh, yeah. Pretty nice, huh, Joe? Um, yeah, that didn't age well. No, no not, a, <laughs> not a bit. No. So, but uh, let's get back yeah. to the 1950s and the Samuel Z. Arkoff. Um, as repulsive as that is... Uh, it worked. It sure did. It worked big time because American International Pictures, as Michelle pointed out, has an almost infinite uh, catalog. Amazing catalog. Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. And, and, and what is amazing about it is it ranges from horror films to science fiction films to... Uh, uh, the beach, beach there's a, there's a couple of bingo films epics in there too yeah right <laughs> and and the beach movies with uh with frankie avalon and annette funicello all came out of american international pictures so what a range they had westerns you know every conceivable genre was represented by american international that's so funny. I, I uh, you know, uh, but there, yeah, and, and there's other stuff too, because I, um, when uh, next segment, uh, I, I, I did a deep dive onto some, some lesser known stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, you know, you, you're right though, Joe. I mean, they, they ran the gamut of, uh, of genres. And, Even exploitation. I mean, yeah. they did exploitation films, they did like uh, uh, females in prison. And yeah. things like that. Well, they did the school girl. Yeah, black reform school girls. They and, did a bunch of black exploitation yeah. stuff, and note most notably the two black. You know, uh, what was it? Uh, um, Blackula and Scream. Blackula Scream. I think. Um, I can't remember what the name of the sequel was, but yeah, you know, and, and then they did. They some, also did a, a documentary, Naked Africa, that was talk about exploitive. But yeah, uh, they did mockumentaries too. Uh, they, they, yeah. you know, it, it's really strange what, you know, and some of this stuff is lost because I was looking for some of the, uh, some of the stuff that to do research and I just couldn't find certain films. So, but, uh, but yeah, but the, the exploitation definitely, 
you know, exploitation films have been around, you know, since the, you know, since the beginning of filmmaking, really, you know, dating back to the 30s and 40s. Ed Wood with mm -hmm. uh, Glenn or Glenda and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. Freaks uh, um, was exploitation, mm -hmm. in my opinion. So it was, a, you know, Reefer Madness, all that. So, yeah, so they, they glommed onto that and, you know, anything else that, that they knew. And they, and they did it well. You know, I mean, some stuff didn't make money, but more more often than not, their their stuff made money. They did what a cheap publisher will do, which is publish a lot of uh, what other with big companies would would think was unpublishable. Mm -hmm. But they'll they'll do it in bulk. Yeah. So the books may not be bestsellers, but they sell a lot of books. Yeah, because they take almost any author and they will publish almost anything. Mm -hmm. And you know, if they have, if you have a million books out there under your portfolio, and you each one only sells two, you still sell two million books. <laughs> you know, so the, the publisher makes a lot, of, and that's how American international films work. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and you know, they really because you know, again, I was surprised. Um, at the, you know, I was surprised that the, the beach movies were, were part of this because I, you know, those were like, you know, former Disney stars going into movies, you know, Annette Funicello and, um, mm -hmm. uh, Frankie Avalon. Avalon. Yeah. yeah. I always mix up mm -hmm. him and Frankie Valley. Frankie Valley was the singer. Um, but, uh, he was, but, from, he was from my hometown of Dunmore. Oh, there you go. So yeah, I mean, well, he was from Jersey, but but mm -hmm. uh, his grandfather lived in Dunmore, and he used to spend his summers there. His oh, granddad. interesting. Yeah, very cool. The local title. So now, so so this you know all this this you know film company has left an indelible mark on all of our all, you know all three of us throughout you know the the decades. Uh, whether or not it's love of films before you know that came out before we were born or before we were going to the movies, or you know things that were coming out you know in our, our formative years and you know and and beyond, uh, because you know they they were quite far reaching and had a lot of success in the seventies too, uh, you know and I, I didn't really get too much into the eighties with them but um, but yeah we figured we'd we'd uh, you know uh, do fifties sixties seventies for our uh, for the stuff we're talking about tonight, but yeah, so so Joe, uh, where do you want to start with uh, your your uh, teen movies? So, as we discussed, uh, you know, we to whittle this down is let's face it, we could do our whole th this whole came from Cleveland on this one. We could do company. multiple. We could do multiple shows. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but but. Um, you asked me to pick out some of the movies, and I thought, well, you know, these stood out to me just uh, quickly running down the list as the teen movies, uh, and let's do a teen theme was mm -hmm. my idea, because there were three that stood out, and it just so happens that this past Saturday, Sven Gulli, uh did a uh, featured a movie about how to make a monster. That was heavily referencing not only American International Pictures, it used that as as the the actual name of the fictional mm -hmm. you know movie house that was was the subject, but it also zeroed in on the two particular movies 
that were real movies by International Pictures. I was a teenage werewolf, and I was a teenage Frankenstein. Yes. And uh, so I thought we would start by t- discussing those movies and another movie that <laughs> that wasn't part of I was a teenage or uh, uh, how to build a monster but was a teenage themed one was teenage caveman which yeah. was made later remade later which starred Robert Vaughn of all people as the a man teenager from Uncle. who knew he was a teenager as a te- as- it would have perfectly a caveman would perfectly quaffed hair, but oh, anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think I thought we'd start with I was a teenage werewolf, starring Michael Landon of Little House on the Prairie fame and oh, Bonanza and Bonanza and Highway to Heaven. <laughs> as, a matter, yeah, as a matter of fact. Please! I know they're going to catch me, but don't let anyone see me like that! Please, Doctor, help me! Michael Landon in a powerful performance as the boy possessed. Yvonne Lyon appealing as the girl who loves him. Whit Bissell unforgettable as the scientist maddened by the mystery of the werewolf. And Tony Marshall, a tough, friendly enemy. <laughs> These are the official pictures? Yes, Chief. Slash on either side of the throat. You got any theories? Fangs. He was killed, but... by a werewolf. Panic penetrates every home. <laughs> when this strange, unknown killer hits town. Taking hold of the teenage crowd. <laughs> coloring their practical jokes with hysterical humor that'll make you fall flat on your face. <laughs> with horror. Remember how wonderful it was when you sprang suddenly dug in with your fangs, a soft throat, a gush of warm blood? No! No! Nothing you've ever seen has such blood-chilling savagery. Nothing you've ever conceived packs such a spine-tingling jolt. This high school boy, a teenage werewolf. A constant threat of claw-ripping attack to everyone, to the brave and the beautiful. Love it, love it. Wow, yes. So there, there's some interesting uh, doing our little. Don't call it a deep dive. It was a shallow dive into Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> we um, there's some very very interesting facts about this picture. First of all, Samuel R. And this is all in Wikipedia, but Samuel Arkoff in his memoirs said that he got a lot of resistance about portraying a teenager becoming a monster mm-hmm. and uh it had ne- it, this had never been done before in film and uh it became one of the first became the first film to have the word teenage its title yeah uh so this was a sort of groundbreaking film in that regard okay uh this is not in wikipedia but I, my i heard that michael landon forgot where i heard this hated this movie and if you recall, Svengoolie mentioned that the two movies that, that were mentioned in uh, How to Make a Monster, this one and I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, 
were not available to be shown. And I'm of the suspicion, this is mine personally, that Michael Landon or his, not him, but his, his state has purchased these films and don't want them shown. It could oh, be. No. They're on YouTube. I, 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 th- I, they are on YouTube, but, but they're not, that's not legal. No. Uh, the, the original films can't be shown commercially uh, for some reason, as Fingoli pointed out. But three, three spin-offs came out of this movie. Three, three of the actors got major boosts in their in their uh, careers. Michael Landon, obviously, mm-hmm. two years later, he's on Bonanza as Little Joe. Yeah, and that was his. That was a huge. I mean, jump for his. Uh, particular uh, career. Yeah, and you know, he was he know, was he a, a staple on television until his death. Exactly. Uh, another one was Guy Williams. Yeah. Okay. Who was in this film and later got a contract after this with Disney uh, to play in a show I never missed, Zorro. Oh, okay. Out of the night. When the full moon is bright, comes a horseman known as Zorro, <laughs> and um, he would with his zit 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 with his his uh, sword, and he would put a Z on them. And uh, he sure so, would. And then later, huh? I said he sure and would. Later became, yeah. And then he later became uh, Robinson and uh, Lost in Space. Yeah. And. Now, there's a name you might not know until you look at the time tunnel. And the professor yeah. that was uh, operating all the gadgets on the time tunnel. Okay. Okay, that was Whit Bissell, who also was in I Was a Teenage Werewolf, uh, Frankenstein. Right so, um, three three notable people uh, that were in these uh, that were in these uh, these films. You know, it's amazing how many people got their start in you know low budget movies. I mean, Jack Nicholson. You know, look at him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, right. Dennis Hopper right. too. Um, right. But yeah, you know, there, there's a. It, it, it doesn't take much to, you know, even if it's a B movie, if it's a you know schlocky horror movie, whatever. You know, these things were mm-hmm. propelling people's careers left and right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just word of mouth and you oh, you got to see this guy he's great as the werewolf you know he might have hated the movie but he owed a debt of gratitude to um the you know get landing that role and uh, the people who put that film out yeah it's like when you hear actors like uh leonard nimoy say you know they hate to be typecast or something like that because of star trek or, you know mm-hmm. and say yeah but <laughs> Yeah, he he did come around. Leonard Nimoy did come around. Yeah, so yeah, so there's a big butt there, and uh, let's let's not be silly. But um, so that there you have. I was a teenage werewolf, which uh, again was the first uh, movie with teen in the title. First movie to uh, exploit a teenager becoming a monster, but uh, Arkoff was not finished. No, no. Because later that year, oh, sorry. <laughs> later that year, he said, "Let's do that again." With I was a teenage Frankenstein. Well, when the stitches are out, he'll pass for a normal, quite attractive teenager. <laughs> 
real attractive. I want him to know and feel pain. What I create, I must control. Go on, activate this body. With Thistle, demonic as Professor Frankenstein, who creates out of human parts the most terrifying creature to walk the earth today. Mad scientist making mad, mad Frankenstein kids. Wit Bissell but, sounds like uh, a smart alecky uh, uh, um, broom uh, dust. Uh, <laughs> uh, the sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bissell, Bissell. Uh, so I was a teen. Now this uh, was a uh, interesting tidbit. Is that? In Spinguli's film last week, uh, I was a teenage... Um, or How to Make a Monster? Or, I'm sorry, How to Make a Monster. The two teenage actors in that movie, well, obviously one was not Michael Landon. Yeah. So the one doing the playing the part of the teenage werewolf uh, teenager was a different actor. But there was another teenager in there who's... Uh, Name was, uh, I'm sorry, whose name was Robert, George, I'm sorry, Gary Conway, who played the teenage werewolf, uh, Frankenstein. Okay. Uh, Gary Conway uh, had an interesting career of his own, and he was, he was in, he was the teenage monster in the movie, and he also played the teenage actor in How to Make a Monster. So you would recognize him there. Also Very notable cool. in I Was a Teenage Frankenstein was an actress named Phyllis Coates. If you're a Superman uh, fan like I am, you will recognize Phyllis Coates as uh, George Reeves, the Lois Lane to George Reeves' Superman. Oh, okay. That sounded familiar. In the TV series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Phyllis Coates. She was in uh, The Mole, Mole People with Superman and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she was replaced later on, but she was, I think, the original Lois Lane. Interesting. So a few other, yeah, a few other interesting little tidbits that came out of I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. Um, It was originally cast as a double feature to be with the Blood of Dracula back in the day when I used to pay a quarter to get into the Orient Theater in Dunmore. We always love double features because for 25 cents and 10 cents for a popcorn, uh, you got to see two horror films that you would never sleep and your parents would be very aggravated <laughs> because you'd have nightmares all night. No, yeah, that's great. 
but uh, yeah, so and Gary Conway had an interesting little uh, series later on. He was in Land of the Giants, if you recall that TV show. Yeah, we're hitting all the the sixties sci fi. Yes, he was in Burke's Law. Uh, you know, so he he had uh, you know a lot of a lot of bit parts. You, I'm sure, if you see his his uh, website, you'd see that he. Uh, He's still around. He's still doing uh, appearances, nice. and uh, he had quite a TV career. Uh, right out of a little American international films uh, called "I Was a Teenage Frankenstein." Just don't say Perry. he was on uh, Perry Mason, and we're we're in good shape. <laughs> yeah, they had a lot of fun with that. Uh, <laughs> and Sven Gulli, yes, don't get, say don't... he was on Perry Mason. Yeah, but everybody we're... was. Everybody yeah. was on Perry Mason. I oh, was God. on Perry Mason. Yeah, I think I was so, too. There, uh, before, yeah, I you more. were too. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, are we so ready American for the internet? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Hmm? Yeah. Go ahead. We're heading for the break. Uh, yeah, we're getting ready to go to the break, but we got one more trailer from you to to play. Okay, so we'll cover this after the break, I assume. But uh, we'll pay I, the trailer because. Yeah. Well, no, we'll cover it now. It'll take as much time as you need. Okay. Okay. Well. The third film in the teenage genre was Teenage Caveman. So you can, might, might want to play that trailer. Yeah. Are all the men gathered? All the fools. Why do we hunt in a place where there are only a few dead trees and a few animals to give to the fire? When there's plenty there. There are shadows there, deep and cold, and dirt that eats men. And animals far more terrible than any you've seen. What lies beyond? Just as modern man reaches into outer space, primitive man searches beyond his horizons, finding new and terrifying creatures in his prehistoric world. Massive beasts, his simple weapons only anger. Killer dogs he had not yet learned to tame. His courage proves the teenage caveman all man, winning for him a woman's love. We could make a place to lie down on, space above the floor so the cold couldn't reach us as we slept. A love pure and passionate and pagan. Strengthening his courage, his daring, his dreams. I came to give this earth to the clan. See the awe-inspiring beasts in a teenage caveman's world. See reptilian monsters locked into the death battle. Robert Vaughn, a very old-looking teenager. Robert, very, very, very well quaffed. I was a thirty-year-old teenage caveman, and some of the cavemen had that Elvis look with the with what we used to call the DA, the duck's ass. <laughs> they would comb it back, and it would look like a duck's yeah. ass in the back. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they were very interesting people, and and the premise of the, of the whole film was on one side of the river where where these cavemen. 
uh, and the other, and the holy men who had the law, and the other side of the river, they didn't know there was this monster over there that anybody went over there and never came back. And of course, Robert Vaughn, being the man from Uncle, he's not going to have this law hold him back. So he takes a bunch of his teenage buddies across the river to find out what this monster is all about, which turned out to be a little prescient preview of Planet of the Apes because on the other side of the river, the monster was actually the survivor of a nuclear holocaust many, many years ah. ago. Dressed in a radiation suit that looked like a monster because it was burnt. And when they opened it up, there was an actual old man in there. Wow. And in there they find a book. A book of President Eisenhower and people shaking hands. Oh, this must be the way humans must greet each other. So they learn how to do <laughs> handshakes. And this book became the new law. Wow. Oh boy. And that's basically the premise of the movie in, in a nutshell. With all the monsters uh, fighting each other and uh, the blind yeah. saying, oh, we could build a floor up higher than the ground so we won't be cold. Yeah. And she yeah. had beautiful blonde hair uh, in the the fifties fashion. She looked like a astronaut's wife, actually. Yeah, she she Not had she woman. had great hair. Yeah. And 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 I gotta say all the all the loincloths were well cut and trimmed. So yeah. and, and sewed. So <laughs> they're amazing. But just yeah. just more just a few interesting tidbits. Uh the lead was Robert Vaughn, naturally Napoleon Solo of the man from Uncle. Frank Dakova was his sidekick. And you might remember Frank as Chief Wild Eagle in F Troop. Okay, yeah. And Ed Nelson, who was on Peyton Place. Also, I met Ed, Ed Nelson when I was with Bob at that uh, after party at the memorabilia place. Oh, okay, cool. I think he was in the picture I, I, I showed. He was also in Attack of the Crab Monsters, Night of Blood Beast, and The Brain Eaters. Oh, so all he had quite, Ed Nelson had, had quite a little horror career of his own. So there's our teenage uh, wrap-up, and uh, let me tell you, uh, that just doesn't even scratch the scratch on the scratch. It the really doesn't. Of... It really doesn't. And I've I've no. made I've made an executive decision tonight because um, okay, there is no Twilight Zone episode next week, so we're gonna bump our we're gonna mm -hmm. bump our Twilight resume, uh, uh, review for tonight um, because we've got two big breaks left. Michelle sent me a, a, a ton of great trailers I want to try and get through. And I'll save my American uh, uh, International Pictures uh, stuff for the end of the show. Because I just... Okay, I, I just want to... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, finish Just one thought. thing about... We're not going to do the Twilight Zone episode this, year, this week. We'll do it next week because there's no Twilight Zone episode for next week. Oh, okay. Because there's a Scranton tie-in to this Twilight Zone episode. Oh, well, we'll... we'll In fact... There's a personal tie-in to this one. Oh, all right. Well, Ooh. we'll have we'll have it for next week, yes. and I, I've got plenty of audio clips for it, but we just won't have time tonight for it. So, all right, right. Uh, we got our new mythical moment, and uh, oh, the robots answer Francie's question tonight. This this one takes a weird turn. We'll be right back. Uh -oh. <laughs> ah! For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert with mythical moment number 11, Sun Wukong the Monkey King Part 3, Hell's Bells. When we last left the handsome Monkey King, 
he had established himself as a force to be reckoned with, defeating a demon kidnapper before shaking down not one, not two, not three, but four dragon gods and having an arrest warrant issued for his arrest by Yama, the Judge of Hell. After his previous shenanigans, he managed to create an army of monkeys and soon began forging alliances with local demons. One night, after one of his vassals had paid a visit, the denizens of Waterkernan Cave threw a huge party and everyone got completely plastered, especially Monkey. He went outside to sleep it off and sat under a tree before drifting off to sleep. As he slept, a pair of wardens from Hell, Oxhead and Horseface, arrived at Waterkernan Cave with an arrest warrant for the soul of Monkey. Seeing their target sound asleep, they quickly grabbed them and made their way back to the Hell. Monkey came too, finding himself tied up and being frog-marched to the underworld. He was of course angry and demanded to know what was happening. The two demons explained the situation and Monkey protested. He knew the way of immortality. Death should no longer have any jurisdiction over him as a true immortal. The two shrugged and said they were just doing their jobs and that he could plead his case to the Ten Kings of Hell and Yama. Monkey seemed to relent, eventually asking if the two could loosen his bonds just a little saying that he had this terrible itch by his ear and that he desperately needed to scratch it. The two did as he asked and never knew what hit them. By the time the other denizens of hell had arrived, it was too late for poor Oxhead and Horseface, as they had been reduced to greasy, bloody smears on the grimy floor of hell by Monkey and his trusty staff. Monkey demanded to speak to hell's managers, and the ten kings of hell and their superior, King Yama, showed up. The ten kings asked Monkey what the literal hell he had done, and Monkey demanded an explanation. They tried to calm him, saying that the warrant might have been a simple mistake. Many people, they told him, had the name Sun Wukong and went by the epithet of Handsome Monkey King. Maybe it was a typo on the warrant. Stuff like this, they told him, happened all the time. He... He believed that, right? Monkey was a consummate trickster, and he saw through this ruse immediately. He demanded to see the ledger of life and death, and the kings decided to humor him. He looked through it until he found himself, the ledger listing his name and his allotted time span. Declaring this to be a mistake, he turned some of his hairs into an inkbrush, and before anyone could stop him, he had crossed his name out of the ledger. This forever removed him from the jurisdiction of hell. For those of you keeping track at home, this made him twice immortal. To make things even worse for the kings, Monkey also went through the ledger and struck out the names of all the monkeys whose names he recognized. Not only was Monkey now outside of Hell's jurisdiction for all eternity, but all the monkeys in his kingdom were now deathless, leaving him with an insane immortal monkey army. Monkey noted to himself how great of a name for metal band insane immortal monkey army would be, and then made another note to invent metal music too. By the time he was done with his editing of the ledger and rampaging around, Hell was in absolute shambles. Unable to do anything about Monkey, the kings and Yama demanded that he leave. He had both gotten what he wanted and made his point that he was not to be trifled with, and so he did. As soon as Monkey was gone, the kings and Yama furiously discussed the matter, and eventually decided to file a formal complaint with Heaven, as they were now the only people who could deal with Monkey. The Jade Emperor received the complaint and began to call his soldiers to arms. However, his most trusted advisor, Goldstar, suggested a different way to deal with the problem. He suggested that if they gave Monkey a position in the celestial bureaucracy of heaven, he would be content with being recognized as a fellow immortal and that they could keep him in check. The Jade Emperor, agreeing to Goldstar's idea, dispatched him to Flower Fruit Mountain to offer Monkey amnesty and a position in the bureaucracy. Next week on Mythical Moment, 
Monkey goes to heaven and lives the glamorous life of a stable boy before the Jade Emperor learns that loose lips sink heavenly ships. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert reminding you that if you ever find yourself in hell, you can get out of death by demanding to see Hell's managers. Back to you, Kenny. Background music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks, Alexander. Finally, before sending it to the Rubits, I just want to wish Kenny a very happy birthday. Kenny, thank you for everything that you do for the station and to make people's lives a little brighter. I hope you had a great birthday. There's a difference you sense here You can see it everywhere It keeps on telling you Just how much more we care It's time to check in with the robots Oh golly gosh It looks like we have a new question from friend of the show, Francie I sure do like her She asks some good questions what would she like us to answer this week, Robis fellow? Let me put on me reading glasses. One second. Aha. Here we go. This is a very good one. Well, bloke, spill the bloody beans already. Francie asks, how many robits does it take to change a light bulb? I suppose the answer to that is a little complex. First, we need to know what the light bulb needs to be changed into and determine which robot or robots have the best skill sets necessary to change the light bulb into the thing it needs changed into. Well, since there are no other robots around at the moment, perhaps we should try and change your light bulb into something else. Shall we team up and try to figure this one out? Sure, I don't have anything better to do and I happen to have a light bulb in this basket of witchcraft items I found in a haunted house. Witchcraft items, you say? Why that could be just the trick we need to change that poopy little light bulb you have into something else. Is there an evil spell book in there? Why yes. Yes there are several evil spell books in here. This one looks to be the best. It's called the Infernal Tome of Wicked Golem Crafting from Everyday Household Items Volume 4. The Infernal Tome of Wicked Golem Crafting from Everyday Household Items Volume 4 you say? Shiver me timbers. That sounds like it's a spot on evil spell book. Is there a chapter on light bulbs? There's like seven chapters on light bulbs. One is for halogen, one for fluorescent, one for LED and there are all kinds of notes on wattages, lumens and stuff like that. It's a little confusing. Oh give me that goddamn book. Look. It's right down here. My god. Was that so hard? Oh chill out man. I almost had it. Whatever. Okay I hope me Latin is up to snuff. Here, here we, we go. go. Dear Squeezo Peckatum Mali Reformer Bit Poopy Mutat in Misericordia Sempaterna Nostalsis Amiculi. Now you read the spell. Dios Quereso Peckatum Mali Reformer Bit Poopy Mutat in Misericordia Sempaterna Nostalsis Amiculi. Dear Squeezo Peckatum Mali Reformer Bit Poopy Mutat in Misericordia Sempaterna Nostalsis Amiculi. Now you read the spell, again. Dios quereso pecatum mali reforma bit poopy mutat in misericordia sempaterna nos dulcis amiculi. Oh hell. 
What's happening? The lights went out. Where are all the lights? I know one of the lights seems to be running around the room and laughing at us. Oh sweet god, now it's laughing at us backwards. I'm scared. I'm scared out of me what's. To be continued. Oh, those wacky robots. Thanks so much. It's, it's to be continued. What on earth? Uh, but thank you for the question, Francie. Uh, yeah. Um, and by the way, that music that I used is... I, I found this uh, video, this like corporate training video at a thrift store, and I found that audio on it. And I'm like, I'm just using that. Nobody cares. There's like no copyright in the... That police that are coming after me on that so I uh, <laughs> I like that so uh, but anyway yeah that was a lot of fun and Adam you gotta call next uh, you gotta call next uh, episode of the Monkey King um, Monkey Gone to Heaven because that's the name of a Pixies song um, this monkey's gone to heaven great song so uh, but yeah, to be continued. Yeah, Paul, look at that. We're serializing the robots. <laughs> anyway, welcome back uh, to the show. Uh, Joe, are you scared out of your watts? I turned out all my lights. <laughs> I'm afraid. You should be. So, uh, mm. yeah, and uh, Miles, you know, th th the robots just keep getting into more and more uh, deadly shenanigans. Uh, yes, uh, quote those spells properly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that every word in there was Latin except for the word poopy. Um, because <laughs> they refer to the light bulb as a poopy light bulb. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, Michelle, uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. So, you're getting an extra, uh, 15 or so minutes here before we go into the next segment, and you'll have the entire next segment too. So, um, where, where do you want to... Well, I have them all in order here. Why don't you set up uh, your, your feelings on American International Pictures? Okay, American International Pictures, as, as far as I'm concerned, is, is, is like one of... Up, up next to Hammer Studios, they are right up there with all the, the old classic horror movies. Because, you know, they were a main platform from Price. But, you know, also Peter Lorre and Basil Rathbone were in a lot of their stuff. You know, uh, Boris Karloff. They had so many amazing talents on their roster. And in the 60s, where I'm, I'm focusing on, they had a author of uh, gothic horror that was based on Poe stories. For the most part, they took some license with some of them. But, oh sure. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is the Fall of the House of Usher. Um, House of Usher was also known as the Fall of the House of Usher, the Mysterious House of Usher. You know, as they 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 relabel things as they're being released. Yeah. Um, it was done in 1960. Uh, it was directed by Roger Corman, the Man of the Hour, 
and was oh, yeah. written by Richard Matheson from the 1839 short story, The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Um, the film was first of eight Corman Poe feature films. And we're saying Corman Poe feature films in quotes because some of them weren't really Poe stories. Mm-hmm. And um, it had Vincent Price, Myrna Fahey, M- Mark Damon, and Harry Ellerby. All right. Uh, shall I run it? Uh, yeah, another quick note real quick before you run it is in sure. 2005, this film was listed in the United States National Film Registry as being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Oh, that's right. There we go. genius of Edgar Allan Poe could knit them so closely together. The burning passions of the purest of loves. The deadly passions of the madly prurient. Hedlin, you're leaving this house with me tomorrow. Only I could. For hundreds of years, evil thoughts and evil deeds have been committed within these walls. The house itself is evil now. They all are. Ashes. This is monstrous. It waits for me, because very soon I shall be dead. Oh, Madeline, come away with me now. You buried your own sister alive? I did. But she's dead now. The master hand of the macabre creates its masterpiece. Well, this is such a classic, and Vincent Price had such a distinct look in this film too, versus uh, later roles. Yeah, with the blonde hair, they give him really like like almost albino blonde hair. Yeah, shocking blonde, really hair. creepy. Yeah. Yes. So, and uh, in, in, you know, but it, it's a you, but that's really cool. You you've got the you know that that it uh, you say it was deemed culturally significant. Um, and, uh, you know, by uh, what was the organization? Uh, the National uh, United States National Film Registry. Oh, very cool. Very cool. 
You know, and this is one of those. This is one of those films that I remember from when I was a kid. There's uh, this version, and then there was a version with Martin Landau that I really loved uh, from the '70s, I believe. Um, but both of them, I, I think, are, are just remarkable films. I love them both. Yeah, they're they're very beautiful. The, the colors and the stuff they use, especially you know, as you said, when Vincent Price, he looks so starkingly different from mm-hmm. his normal roles. So it was it was amazing. The colors were extremely vibrant in this for a nineteen sixties film, a nineteen sixty film. Yes, and that that leads us to the next one, which is another Poe film. Um, it's called The Pit and the Pendulum, nineteen sixty one. It was also a Roger Corman uh, movie uh, starring Vincent Price, Barbara Steele, John Keir, and Luana Anders. Um, it was loosely based on The Pit and the Pendulum of the same name. Yeah. Um, it's set in 16th century Spain. And um, it, it is pretty, pretty horrific. <laughs> my father's world, Mr. Barnett. The shrieking of mutilated victims became the music of his life. The blood of a thousand men and women was spilled within these walls. Limbs twisted and broken. Flesh burned black. Starring Vincent Price, truly a master of the macabre. John Carr in a challenging role. Barbara Steele, more blood-chilling than in Black Sunday. And introducing taunting Luana Anders. Nicholas. Is that you? Elizabeth? While we were up here mourning her, she was alive. Struggling to be free. You are lying, sir. When Maria screamed, where were you? You lie! going to torture you, Isabella. I'm going to make you suffer for your faithlessness to me. <laughs> you harlot! All the violence of angry seas. The unseen forces of the unknown. The unforgettable memories of a long-forgotten childhood. All these you will feel in your very blood. Do you know where you are, Bartholomew? You are about to enter hell. It's it's a cool one. Another one with really interesting uh, effects and some beautiful set pieces. Oh yeah, I mean they they didn't uh, you know you, I guess as a kid I kind of took for granted all of the the attention to detail they would put in some of these films and the the costs of the sets and everything. Um, you know, 
it, it just all of them were so remarkably well done that I guess you just kind of it just kind of felt like scenery, you know, like it's just always there. But the thought in the in the craftsmanship that went into these films was just um, just, you know, masterful. But even though that that film, like a lot of the films that they 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 dealt with, um, you know, when you deal with torture and that sort of thing, they dealt with the Iron Maiden, which actually was not an implement of the Inquisition. It was just something that was made up to make people think of something that was really really cruel and and, ga- uh, and ghastly, because it's really not an effective method of torture, and it's really yeah, it was it was made up. It it was never used like in the Inquisition or during you know the the witch trials or anything Don't like that. Don't tell Bruce Dickinson. So. Don't tell Bruce Dickinson. So uh, he's the singer of Iron right. Maiden. He's the singer of Iron Maiden. So <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. non-metal okay. ads. Well, Iron Maiden, the band's cool, but yeah, yeah, it, the, yeah. The, the actual torture device, not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it's it, not really even a torture device. If, if they if you were in one of those things and they close it, you're just dead. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, this is uh, you know, and, and this uh, these were both directed by Corman. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, he was he was a, a brilliant director, and a lot of people like kind of chalk him up to being just, you know, Mister Schlock, Mister B movie. But he, he was a real artist with a real vision. Heck yeah, these are beautifully and, and a lot of beautifully uh, uh, a shot cinematic uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a bit, uh, the, especially in the Pit and the Pendulum when they, that camera looks down on the torture device. Yeah. As that pendulum is swinging, I mean that's beautifully shot for that time period. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, this is great. You're going through all this Corman stuff because, like I said in my segment, I'm going to talk about Roger Corman's final film for American International Pictures. Um, well, let's let's get to one more from you, and then we're going to go to the break, and then I'm going to also do another executive decision and play my other two trailers from movies from American International Pictures from the 70s on the break in, uh, instead of the on with the show thing. So, uh, but... Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but um, as I said, you know, Corman had a huge Poe series. And uh, this next one is called The Premature Burial. It's done in 1962. Um, it was directed by Roger Corman, starring uh, Ray Milland, Mal- H- yep. Hazel Court, Alan Napier... Heather Angel and Richard Nee. Yeah, that's Al- um, Alan Napier. He he did a lot of stuff. Yes, it is. Um, it, it was uh, also you know it's, uh, the 1844 short story of Edgar Allan Poe. It's the third of the eight Poe theme pictures. Um, as I said, you know it's known as the Poe cycle. Yeah, here we go. Premature burial. <laughs> Possessed by love. A man obsessed by terror. Only Edgar Allan Poe, who knew intimately the tortures of madness, could create 
such ever-increasing suspense. Only an artist of unique talent and unusual sensitivity could live so demanding a role, believing he is destined to be buried alive. No matter who he destroyed, no matter how desperately he fought, his life became a nightmare of death. Until reality and madness became one. His father was prematurely interred. I heard his voice. All right, then prove it. I will. You are about to enjoy an experience in extreme terror. I'm alive! Can't you hear me? I'm alive! Alive! Someone help me! Well, that's awkward. <laughs> <So>. Yes. <laughs> I guess he didn't have one of those little bells. No, you know, no. Yep, yeah, the bells on the string that you could pull. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wonder how much use those things actually got. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I got to remember. I got to remember what it is. But there was an old time radio show about somebody being being buried alive, and they actually had a a phone wired into the coffin that would ring to the house, and like. <laughs> It rang to the house, but nobody was home. So, oh, that's cool. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I'll have to find that episode, and we'll we'll feature it on the network at some point. But uh, anything else you want to say about uh, 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 premature burial before we go to the break, Michelle? Um, no, but it, uh, well, yeah, a little bit. It, it it just centers on the the fact that you know people are so there have been medical cases where people have been gone catatonic. Yeah. and have been prematurely buried. And that's what caused that. And it was a really big thing over in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, uh, uh, one of the, the movies in the series of The Conjuring was called The Nun. Yeah, yeah. And that actually uh, uh, showed that uh, part of European, uh, you know, oh, yeah, Romania. Yeah, yeah they had, yeah, they had the bells on the, uh, in, in the graveyard. And they're walking through the graveyard and said, why is this bell here? And, and the priest would explain it to the girl. Mm -hmm. No, very cool. So I'll tell you what, we do have to get run into the break right now. Uh, but in uh, I, I'm going to, just for the sake of time, I'm only going to play one of the trailers I've picked out. Um, it is a 1970 production of uh, a little story called Wuthering Heights, starring a future James Bond actor. I'll just let oh, you guys yeah. hear it, and uh, we'll go from there. We'll be right back with the final hour of It Came From Cleveland right after this. This is Bronte country, a corner of the Yorkshire Moors. Heathcliff! Cathay! 
Wuthering Heights is the name of this house. It's where Kathy and Heathcliff grew up. Two young people defying convention. Rebelling against the tyranny of their elders. Ten years, and by God, you're gonna remember it. And out of this savage environment comes one of the greatest love stories of all time. Come away with me. What? Come away with me. She may see us. I don't. Linton has asked me to marry him. What did you say? I said yes. You're thinking, what about Heathcliff? What about Heathcliff? <laughs> Nobody can marry Heathcliff. I, I mean, he's, he's a wild animal. <laughs> Kathy is Anna Calder Marshall. Open the gate, Joseph. Anna Calder Marshall is Kathy. Nellie, I don't just love Heathcliff. I am Heathcliff. Heathcliff is Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton is Heathcliff. A startling new face to haunt young lovers. You know you lie to say that I've killed you. I could as soon forget you as my life. Are you not satisfied that I'm in hell already? At Wuthering Heights, there are two ways of loving. And only one way to hate. Are you game? Or are you soft as your brother? Kathy and Heathcliff. Kathy? They call, but they cannot hear. They see, but they cannot touch. Their love is as no other in this living world. Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Get the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. Foolish unto you. Something evil. Hi, everybody. Not recommended for impressionable children. 
Cooper. Welcome back. It came from Cleveland. Yeah, so that was the trailer for uh, American International uh, Pictures. 1970 production of Wuthering Heights, starring uh, one, uh, future James Bond, Timothy Dalton, also seen on the Doom Patrol, and uh, he had a, a part in uh, uh, Doctor Who recently. He was one of the Time Lords, uh, like the president of the Time Lords, whatever it was, I don't know. Also starring... Yeah, not, to, not to mention Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah, yeah, Flash Gordon. Uh, yeah, I totally forget, I always forget he was in that. That was such a good cast. And uh, it also starred Anna Calder Marshall, um, who uh, she retired from acting. But I found I found out I went to her website today. She is a uh, of licensed practitioner of feng shui. So <laughs> there you there go. You go. <laughs> uh, but Anna no, had Topol in it too. <laughs> yeah. It, well, and this this was a really good production of this. Um, again, visually stunning. Camera work was great. The, the you know the the acting was superb. Timothy Dalton was magnificent. Uh, I think he's probably the best portrayal of Heathcliff I've seen outside and, the uh, orange cat in the comic strip. And of course, Trojan had to post the Monty Python bit with the semaphore, the Withering Heights and semaphore. Oh, I love that. That's great. That that's classic. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, very nice. Thank you, Paul. Um, and, uh, all right. So, uh, welcome back, Miles. Hello, Miles. So I know this is a little out of your wheelhouse, but, but these are some fun movies we're talking about. Yeah. And Joe, welcome back. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're, we went from teenager, teenage monsters to the Poe cycle. I know. And, and that picture Michelle put up that I had that nun in fourth grade. Oh, oh. creepy, creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a pretty cool movie. I like that. Um, uh, I, I haven't seen all the Conjuring films, but that one was nice. So yeah, they're all pretty well done. I was, mm -hmm. I am very pleased with them, and the animal ones aren't bad either. It's just neat that there's a modern horror franchise that's working. You know. Um, yes, and it's not gotten dull yet. Yeah, and and arguably that you know the this Corman Poe cycle, it it was its own franchise of the of the day, although they weren't you know. Obviously, they were standalone stories and not linked, but spiritually, they're you know, film-wise, they're all you know, heavily related. Um, and they're very related because they they often use the same actors. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's you know, entourage cast. Uh, so, but all right, let's get back to it because I'm going to need a little bit of time towards the end. I want to make sure we get through as many of these trailers as we can for you, and we still have a few to go. So set yeah, up just a... let me know. Just let me know when when to stop because I gave you a bunch. Um, the next one is called Tales of Terror, um, 1962. Um, it was uh, um, produced by Samuel Arloff, of course, you know, and it's mm -hmm. uh, and Roger Corman. So that uh, he also directed it. So um, this screenplay was written, and um, the film stars Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, and Basil Rathbone. A wow. very great combination because they've been in several things together and they work so well. And I love Peter Lorre so much. I love it's, him. It's, <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's basically taking several of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's short story stories mm -hmm. and reimagining them yeah. and making them into these like little vignettes. So it's a little yeah. like trilogy of terror type thing sure yeah tales from the crypt all, all that stuff uh you know uh or an early iteration of that kind of film because you know there really weren't a lot of anthology films like that around at the time there were a few from hammer 
but mm-hmm. this is like the first one that I think that uh, uh, the, 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 the American group actually did. Yes, and the hammer didn't have me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, any opportunity to do my bad Peter Laurie impression, I will. Hey, it's better than mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tales of Terror, here we go. Four Tales of Terror. Every drop of blood feels the freezing paralysis of fear, almost stopping your heart, as Edgar Allan Poe unfolds his tales of terror. You will meet the master of the mansion, who loved and protected his wife with the strength of a supernatural love, even beyond life itself. I am in command here. You will do as I say. I shall take what I desire. Your body and your soul if I demand it. Then you'll enjoy the Black Cat's sardonically humorous tale. It all started at the Vintner's Convention, where the lover of wine met the professional wine taster and introduced him to his wife, a darling who delighted in dalliance. What kind of a man are you anyway? Make love to my wife and doesn't even talk to me. You're insane. That may be, but very clever. Help! 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 In this monstrous mausoleum of the living, you will witness fury far worse than a woman scorned. The fury of a dead woman's jealousy. Make love to my wife and you don't even talk to me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, I, I have seen this before. I think we covered this uh, on an old show um, at one point. Uh, maybe. I'm, I'm, I may have done it on uh, Geeky Gals and Guys because, you know, it's one I of think my favorites. <laughs> might go back to Mike Check. I think might, might go back to Mike Check Radio. I'm not sure. As well, so. too, yeah. But no, that the, the, it, I, I watched it when you you know uh, recommended it, and it's uh, it, you know so I've definitely seen it in the last couple of years. Uh, great movie, great movie. Yeah, it's one it's one of my favorites. It's 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 just uh, it, it, Peter Lorre and Vincent Price they do a wonderful job together. And yeah. you know, uh, how talkative are you going to be other than screaming if somebody's walling you walling you up alive in their basement? You know, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to be very happy. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. Now, Joe, did you ever go see any of these uh, um, Poe movies in the theater when uh, you were a young man? No, no, I never did. No. Oh, OK. So I, I read Edgar Allan Poe. But sure. I never saw his movie. Yeah. Well, I think I heard he was a great director. You heard he's what? A great director. Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> <laughs> <Never mind. laughs> 
yes. from the grave. A director <laughs> of words. Gray. Tales um, from the crypt. Yeah. So I think we could definitely do three more, uh, Michelle, um, before the break. So uh, uh, you want to set up the Raven? Yeah, let's do that because that one is actually really, really fun. It's loosely based on um, the, uh, the, the, the 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 poem, but um, it has Vincent Price, Peter Laurie again, and Boris Karloff in it. So it's an amazing uh, uh, setup, and they're basically playing three rival sorcerers. Um, Vincent Price is kind of the reluctant sorcerer. Okay. Peter Laurie is the overconfident sorcerer that mm-hmm. kind of gets his just desserts. And Boris Karloff is your typical evil sorcerer. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, (laughs) it's the fifth of the Corman Poe cycle. Um, It's very, very loosely based on the uh, the poem. The only thing that basically has the same as the poem is there's a raven character, and that's about it. (laughs) Does it rap, tap, tap um, on anybody's window? Yeah, um, but funny is three decades early earlier, Karloff had appeared in, in a, another film on the same title oh, in uh, 1935, right. the horror film The Raven with Bella Lugosi. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I'm a bad, bad horror fan. I totally oh, you're forgot about not. That. It, it's very obscure. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do remember it though. I've, I've got the Lugosi. Uh, I've got a book on Bella, so. And, uh, but yeah, so, uh, all right, so run the trailer. Yes, they're raving. All right, here we go. desires transcend reality. The mysterious powers of black magic, these you will explore. Now what is it you need? You got some dried blood or a bat in the house? The raven will take you careening through the darkest of dangers into the ominous mystery of a master magician's evil castle. My dear, I offer you a choice. The secret of your hand manipulations or this against this. Well, don't just stand there. Do something. This is no answer. Very well, then. A duel to the death.
love that. Love that uh, them all chanting that at the end. Yes. Well, yeah. It, they, it is, go ahead. It's such a cool movie. It's, it's, it's got a lot of comedy in it, which is really nice. But it's yeah. got, you know, it, it is just a fun play for all the characters. Mm-hmm. And those guys had worked, you know, I mean... Once they started working together and everything, you know that, you know, Carmen was probably like, all right, let's have some fun. You know, we're going to be, we're going to do creepy, but we're going to do some fun stuff too. Yeah. And a little com you throw comedy in there and it, it, it doesn't fail. It, it, you know, especially with how well written they were. People think, yeah, they're low budget. No, mm -hmm. they actually had some beautiful writing in them. Oh, they, they did. They did. And, and, you know, I mean, all you have to do is look at the scenery, you know, like I said, the sets and everything like that, you kind of take it for granted, uh, you know, maybe as a kid or whatever, but you know, w with, you know, uh, new eyes as an adult, I suppose you, you, you see it for the, again, the, all the detail that they throw in it. And, and like you said about the, the throwing in the comedy and stuff like that, it works every time. I mean, look at what they've done with the Marvel movies. You know, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of them started off pretty serious and all the DC movies were really serious and, you know, were kind of devoid of humor. And now they're like, you know what? People want some laughs in here because people are inherently funny. And, and you know, yeah, look at the success of Deadpool. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> oh, it, it's it's remarkable. You know, so I mean, because you can have that. You can you can you can have it all in a movie. That's the great thing about it. So if it's uh, well written, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, I, I, anything else on on the Raven? No, no. I I pretty much um covered everything I want to do. Uh, we'll skip over the, the Terror 2, even though I have supplied you with the trailer. I'll just say that Terror, Terror in 1963, it says it's part of the Poe cycle, but it's actually based on no Poe book <laughs> or oh. Poe story ever. Interesting. And that's the one with um, Boris Karloff and Jack Nicholson. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We could probably squeeze it in. I realize one of these trailers is only a minute long, so if you want me to run it, okay. I will. Sure. Let's, let's run the Terror then real quick. All right. Boris Karloff. Take this gun. Escort this gentleman from the castle. If he resists, kill him. The terror. His evil mystic powers go beyond man's wildest imaginings. To avenge, to reward, to transform. I do love you. Is your blood and flesh beauty a man can enjoy? I am possessed of the dead. Or is she a gossamer myth, created by a madman's distorted desires? Take your life as you took mine. And bring us together forever. Join Boris Karloff, the Frankenstein monster of all horror motion pictures, in his most blood-chilling screen experience. Oh! 
man, how lucky is Jack Nicholson to have his one uh, one of his earliest roles in a film with Boris Karloff? Yeah, that's pretty amazing too. And you know, and and the the role he was playing is a young French officer who's lost and trying to seek shelter. That is such a, a an interesting role for a young American actor like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, no, this this was a great film, and you know, it, it's um, uh, didn't they recycle some of the footage in that for a later film? I'm surprised they did that a lot. Uh, uh what's that Robert Vaughn uh, horror comedy? movie um not saturday the 14th 14th but the other the other um comedy that came out around the same time oh god trying to think Nah, that's okay well <laughs> but uh i think i think it was that movie they might have recycled some of it um but uh anyway all right well uh yeah anything else you want to add to that because i think we can probably blow through the the next three real quick and yeah, nothing really. Um, other than it's just, it's it's you know, as I said, it was located, it was connected to the Poe cycle, but it had nothing to do with Poe. So <laughs> right. it's it's like the next one, the Haunted Palace in 1963. Um, even though it was marketed marketed as an Edgar Allan Poe's Haunted Palace, it actually derives its story from the case of Charles Dexter Ward, a novel by a novella by H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was um, the the title was borrowed from the Six Dance of Poem by Poe, but it had nothing to do with, with with the story, which as as we said, you know, was was adapted from Lovecraft's mm -hmm. story. So, and personal trivia: uh, Hairwolf, my old band, had a song called "The Haunted Castle," but this is the trailer for "The Haunted Palace." <laughs> You are invited to an open house where horror will be your host. The Haunted Palace. You, who find a kind of macabre joyousness in the horrifying, will enjoy yourselves as in ecstasy in The Haunted Palace. Starring Vincent Price, a being who lived and died and lives again. I'll not have my fill of revenge until this village is a graveyard. And intriguing Deborah Paget, whose appealing beauty inflames the blood of the bloodless. Charles, please. I... Well, I've been very busy, but I'm back now. Charles. Oh, no. I have the whole no. night before. No. His violent, no. torturous passions inflict no. both pain and terror. Lon Chaney, carrying on a family tradition of masterful motion picture horror, while the strange and feared new master of the haunted palace reaches for the skeleton of one long dead. You see? He's taken her mind, her soul, just like the others. Really, this is outrageous. This night on 
burn him. Surely after all these years, I'm entitled to a few small amusements. Now, that small amusements, he says. Yeah, it's um, it yeah, basically about a necromancer that um, gets executed and comes back and causes hell for the village that you know he has his house above. It's, you gotta be it's, it's a, careful about these necrom necromancers. Yeah, people just don't know how to deal with the supernatural. No. Come on, it's just like those <laughs> stupid robots uh, reading those Latin spells. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anything else you want to add to that? Uh. uh so we can. Uh. Well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's um, let's just head on to the mask of the red death. Okay, yeah, I think it, that that's probably all we have time for. If that's okay with you, Melagia, we can cover another time. That's okay. one of my favorites. But right. yeah, um, Here. yeah, the mask of the red death. Though I think a lot of us like this one. Um, oh yeah. What's funny about this film is that you know it's another Roger, Roger Corman mo movie, um, starring Vincent Price. Um, it follows you know, the mask of the red death, which is a post story. Mm -hmm. Um. It's, there is also other subplots in there. Uh, there's a subplot based on another potel called Hop Frog, and another oh, yeah. subplot inside it is built um, from the torture by Hope of Augustine Villers de Ilz Adam. So it's another story as well. So they combined like three stories into this one. All right, here we go. The Mask of the Red Death. Personalized by the motion picture screen's Prince of Horror, Vincent Price. So then shouldn't you be on your knees to give thanks? No, I beg of you. Mercy, mercy. Lavishly, he plants his corrupting seeds of sin, spreading living terror that not even the unsullied can escape. Each man creates his own heaven, his own hell. Let me see your face. All right, there you go. Mask of the Red Death. The Prince of Horror, Vincent Price. Isn't that not a cool title? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's about the best title you could have. I'd rather have that than be knighted by the <laughs> British monarchy. Yes, I love it. I think it's absolutely spectacular. Yeah. And, you know, he was, he was so much more than horror, but that is such a damn cool. And he embraced it. You know, it was yeah. it was amazing. <laughs> he really did. So, uh, all right. Anything else? Any other quick thoughts before we uh, go to the trailer break? And do you want to tell everybody what's uh, coming up in the trailer break too? Um. Yeah. Um. Uh. I I put the two Maladrias um trailer in in chat. Just if anybody wants to watch it, it's it's the ninth of the nine films that was the Corman uh, Poe anthology. You know, well the Poe series. So and the Tumalogia is really really cool. I think you got. I think people would really love it if you like anything with Vincent Price. Um, for the trailer Brock, we have some goodies. We have Dementia 13, 1963. 
Uh, we have Burn Witch Burn, 1962. Oh, Dimension 13, um, that is Francis Coppola. That's A right. Very early yeah. Francis Coppola. <laughs> um, Burn Witch Burn, 1962. And uh, one of uh, my favorites and Kenny's favorites, The Witchfinder General, 1968. Oh, yeah. All right, very good. Well, I'll tell you what, it's time for break. And uh, you know what? I think maybe we should talk about Tumalogia uh, next week. We'll see. That'd be cool. So, all right, here we go. Uh, big trailer break right here. Hold on to your hats. In this old castle, death is the youngest thing alive. For it is born and reborn 13 times. Each time from a different dementia. A miasma of madness hides the one who delivers death. One who walks with silent tread and strikes with ruthless force. Is it the mother, demented by grief? Or the attentive daughter-in-law, whose voice is soothingly hypnotic? She'll tell me. I promise you. Is it the son, who with fire creates beauty? Or the doctor who can cure and kill? Or perhaps the new bride, tortured by the ever-present nearness of death? the frenzy of a wedding night in which a marriage is consummated in a passion of terror you too will be mesmerized by a world that cannot be but is the mystery of the enigmatic leads to a strange rendezvous an attempted escape a meeting with terror I want some kind of explanation. But is it obvious? I'm a witch. Can another woman's fiendish jealousy possess and injure her? Don't answer it. Hello. Hang up, Norman! Take me in your arms. Oh, Norman. After you've undressed me with your eyes, I hunt... Is this woman really a voodoo witch? 
conjuring evil spirits to do her sinister bidding. Shocking powers of witchcraft. Powers that can even bring a stone eagle to life. With the tranquility of rural England shattered by civil war, evil was spawned at a time of strife in the land. Take him, Stern. Look for the devil's marks upon him. Run. Help us, you two. Pounding the innocent in violence and terror, this evil man showed no mercy in the pursuit and interrogation of his victims. He was called the Witch Finder General. And amidst the horror of the witch hunt, a story of tender young love. Didn't your uncle just say you must early to bed? He did. And isn't he a wise man? He is. But even their innocence is cruelly corrupted by the vile touch of the witch finder general. My motive in coming here was to find the truth. Vincent Price is the witch finder general. Lust and greed were his only gods. The money from the magistrate. Nine guineas in silver. Good. Now we can leave. Ian Ogilvie as Richard Marshall. He stood alone against the forces of devilish destruction. And it is in thy sight, O Lord, that I hereby swear I shall not rest from the pursuit of his murderers till they stand before thee, ready to answer to thee for their sins. Rupert Davies as John Lowe's. Master Marshall, welcome. Patrick Weimark as Oliver Cromwell. Amongst the most pleasurable aspects of victory, gentlemen, is the opportunity it affords to reward valour. It ranks almost with good food. And Wilfred Bramble. And uh, what line of business might you be in? God's business. Witch finding. Witch finding. Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. And introducing Hilary Dwyer as Sarah. Filmed in authentic detail and photographed with piercing realism against the actual background of peaceful villages and quiet countryside. Never has England looked so beautiful, yet been so violent. I'm your man friend. John Stern, they call me. Man's inhumanity to man portrayed on the screen so vividly that you flinch. So real that you too will fear the witch finder general. Be the first to see it. Be the first to talk about it. The witch finder general. Matthew Hopkins. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to the final segment. Uh, we might run a little bit long. I hope everybody's cool. If anybody has to bail, please let me know. But uh, I, I, I super prepped for this because, uh, and of course, welcome back, Miles. Yes, yes, hello. And Joe, hello, hello. Hi there. Hi there. Uh, <laughs> how about? Hi, everybody. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and Michelle, welcome back. 
thank you, thank you. I uh, I just love talking about these pictures. These, I know, this, I know. Yeah, it's too much fun. It really is. And I this I have, I overproduced. I overproduced for this uh, this show. And um, uh, this, this I, oh, go ahead. I actually updated my Twitter uh, profile. I actually put myself down on my Twitter profile as a classic horror advocate. Classic horror advocate. Yes, because nice. people need to know about this. I you know, love it, it. it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So this. Uh, all right. So now I, I. There was a. There's a film that came out in 1970. This is where I went with this because the other trailer I was going to play was Amityville Horror, but everybody knows that I didn't know that American International Pictures did Amityville Horror as well. And uh, Samuel Z. Arkoff was one of the producers on that as well. Well, um, I, I, I want to get to this because this, to me, Joe, this was really fascinating. The relationship between Roger Corman and AIP really started to sour towards the end. And um, Corman was uh, obviously a big fan of like the hippie counterculture of the time and made a movie that there was tampering that went on with the um the you know the the uh, AIP and uh they uh changed the ending of the movie and it caused him to leave and this movie is so strange and so bizarre and I w I've watched it twice in the last few days because I was so fascinated with it came out in 1970 and it was called gas the uh the on-screen title uh was gas or how it became necessary to destroy the world in order to save it all right and the music was done by um country joe and the fish okay it and it was a wild ride. It's a it, the the movie itself is a little discombobulated, but I'm gonna try and walk you guys through it with the audio clips I got from it. And I'll tell you what, this movie, um, there were I was waiting for the moment where I was gonna watch this movie and I was just gonna like you know cringe from the dated you know, misogyny or racism or something like that. And it never really happened. I was really, this is a, a kind of a progressive film for 1970. And you'll hear some of that come out and some of the, you know, things that are said and done, uh, you know, are, are, uh, you know, really kind of still poignant to this day. It's um it's a comedy. It's post apocalyptic. It it it's got a a, a weird cast. Um, uh, Penny Marshall. Everybody knows Penny Marshall from Laverne and Shirley, of course. Uh, she was Shirley, and uh, but uh, she's not one of the leads. Um, Rod Robert Korf was the lead, and he didn't do a lot of films, although he's a professional voice coach now. Uh, Elaine Giftos was uh oh no wait no i'm sorry elaine giftos she's the one who does feng shui now uh and, and uh, george armitage and alex wilson but um but bud court from harold and Maude is in this he has a as hooper he doesn't have much of a a, a part but ben vereen is in this as cindy williams lover carlos 
which I thought was fun. And Country Joe McDonald uh, is a character called AM Radio. And God is also a recurring character throughout this. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do agree with Roger and why why he got so pissed with them. They butchered the ending of that. Oh, one. they did. They did. Yeah. And that's an important thing. The theme of God being, you know, uh, like, you know, chiming in. God's watching everything unfold. So, but this is where it starts out. The movie starts out really weird where uh, uh, Cole, <coughs> I'm sorry, the main character Cole, played by Robert Korff, is running around uh, the city, uh, and this it starts off taking place in Texas, um, in San Antonio, I believe. Um, and, uh, well, let's see. Um, uh, yeah, in, a, in Dallas, a Southern Methodist University, uh, yeah, news comes out about, uh, uh, yeah, here, here. I'll play you the clip, because uh, the Cole, the lead, is pretending to be a priest at one point and he's in a confessional and uh Scylla the female lead in the uh the movie um comes to him with some important news are you the one who phoned father yes now tell me all about that gas my child well I am Dr. Harvey Murder's mistress and lab assistant while we were studying the aging process in man he discovered a gas that increases the rate of neuron depletion you see, neurons begin dying off in everyone over the age of 25, and that's when this gas gets them. It causes death from instant old age. Anyway, that's when the army got hold of And the army fucked it up. Father, it's a sin to say fuck. Oh, I will forgive you, my child. <laughs> so, I mean, there's lots of little, little humor in it like that. Um, but you know, uh, but so yeah, so this gas has escaped, the military screwed up and it basically this gas is killing anybody over the age of 25. So what's coming up is, you know, they're the, well, before, before we get to the, what, what's coming up, we know what's going to happen is everybody uh, 25 and under is going to have to form a new government. Or, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, figure out how society is going to work after this. And, of course, there are going to be factions that, you know, grow and everything. Uh, but before we get to that, I, I like this joke because the cop that was chasing him around uh, went into the confessional right after Scylla went in and told Cole about the gas escaping. And, um, and, and again, still poignant to this day. Uh, check this out. Father, I have to know, is police brutality really a sin? Only on Friday. I'm guilty, Father. For your penance, you will demonstrate bicycle safety at the Black Panther Convention in Mobile, Alabama. There you go. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of decent laughs in this movie. I gotta say, it was hard for me to narrow down uh, what was going on, so... Uh, so Scylla and Cole, and I'm, I'm going to go lightning around on this. By the way, the movie is rather disjointed, but I think the studio was really responsible for a lot of that. Um, it, yeah, it, they it, cut the crap out of it. Yeah, it's very herky-jerky, but it's still an easy-to-follow story. Basically, it's it's about Cole and Scylla trying to find their way, and, it's, it, and, and basically they want to get out of uh, uh, Dallas because they see some fascistic things going on. But... Um, here they uh, they go around and they start listening to what people have to say about how the world's going to work with with it being run by people twenty five and younger. And uh, here's some uh, some 
of what the other young people said. The President of the United States. Oh, this As is... a result of a simple human error, a mistake anyone might have made, one of our guests has escaped. I'm sorry to announce that I, the former Vice President, am now the President of the United States. You're sorry. I'd have insanity. Survivors will erupt in violence and bickering feuds. I'm taking a sabbatical. Yeah, well, you know, we've just decided to, uh, just to stay stone, you know, until the whole world blows over. <laughs> we will attempt to continue everything approximately as it is. Except on a smaller, more personal scale. What happens to those who don't like what you continue? Well, take no guff from the dope-smoking minority. Laws are to be obeyed by all citizens. The suicidal arrogance of ignorance has presented us with a revolution. And if we have to, we will eliminate the love, peace, flower, drug bunch, as well as the reactionary goody-goodies. Yeah. Yeah. This is no time for division! You're the person <laughs> you me, Pico! <laughs> this is no time for division! Yeah, you call me Pinko! <laughs> So, uh, so that prompts, uh, 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 Joe, are you feeling this? Do you, do you like where, where this movie is going so far? Yeah, I do. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Cindy Williams was so awesome. So, but basically what happens is, uh, Cole and Scylla, they decide to, to get the hell out of Dallas because there, there's other like fascist kind of, you know, people and they're like, screw this, we're, we're leaving. And they get in their car, and they drive out into the desert, and they get ambushed, and their car gets stolen and uh, by a guy named Billy the Kid, who was actually played by one of um, Roger Corman's um, uh, cohorts, George Armitage, who was actually a director and a producer. Um, and uh, so, so he, he steals their car, takes it away, they're left on their own, so they go exploring, and then they find themselves in this record shop, and that's where Cindy Williams and um, uh, Ben Vereen are, as uh, uh, Carlos and Marissa, and uh, Cindy Williams is just so funny because she's like, you know what? Man, we just need to listen to music through all this, and it's so funny. I love uh, you'll you'll hear some other fun stuff from this character, but here's uh, Cindy Williams as uh, Marissa in the record store. Listen, I got a bitchin' idea. What do you think about this? What say we all listen to the golden oldies and sit around and reminisce about the super sound of the sixties, huh? Sound of the sixties, a uh, gunshot. Oh, rock and roll, rock and roll from Motown to Liverpool, from Woodstock to Memphis. It was music that rocked the '60s. Can you dig it? I mean, Chuck Berry got out of jail, Elvis got out of the army, the Silver Beetles started, the Stones rolled, the Jefferson Airplane landed in San Francisco, and uh, Dylan sang what was going down. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that, Joe? She just rattled it all off. Sounded like my a soundtrack of one of my. CD mixes. Yeah, yeah, really. So, it did. Uh, but oh my god, and Cindy Williams, she just looks like a baby in this. You know, I mean, yeah, she, obviously she was super young in Laverne and Shirley, but this, she she looked like she was maybe eighteen, um, and uh, she had a couple other good moments too. Uh, but you know, and speaking of name dropping, so what happens? Bud Court's character shows up. Uh, and he doesn't, you know, Bud Court's character is kind of disappointing in the movie. I'll say that he played, um, Hooper 
and his girlfriend was Coralie. Um, and, uh, it, it, but he came in armed and Carlos, uh, you know, is a gun toting, um, uh, kind of revolutionary and, uh, they, uh, so they're like, well, you know what? We need to get out of here, but you know, we need a car. And so Cole and Scylla say, Hey, if you guys know how to use those guns, some guys took a car of ours and we'd like to go get it back and we can, we can all get out of here. So they're like, okay, let's do it. And what happens next was so surreal and so funny. It, it to me is like they they do this gunfight and they they kind of mock the idea of gunfights in movies because at, before they fire a shot at, at one person or another, they yell out the name of a famous like you know Hollywood celebrity. Or character, you know, uh, like Tom Mix or Gene Autry <laughs> before they fire a shot. So it's it's like they're mocking the idea of like glorifying gun violence. And, and again, that this is so ahead of its time to me. Uh, it's it's just brilliant. I, I was enamored by by all this. But yeah, so here's uh here's the gunfight. Listen for even more name dropping from Gas. That's close enough, stranger. I'm not no stranger. We met this morning. My hair looked neater then. <laughs> palaver. You got 17 seconds to beat it or we open up. Okay, let him have it. Bronco Billy! You fired first, mister. It's on your head. Iron Eyes Cody. Randolph Scott. Johnny Mac Brown. Tim McCoy. William S. Hort. Buster Crab. Ooh. Buzzy Knight. Gabby Hayes. Tom Mix. Ah. Lee Van Cleef. Jim Brown. Hey, babe, it's the only one, you know. Jim Ornes. Burt Lancaster. Roy Rogers, last of the Ward Bond. You're forcing me. Gene Autry. John Wayne. <laughs> so it, it's funny because it, 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 they don't even have to shoot their gun if they say a name of somebody who is well known enough for actually killing people. It might sound stupid, but. Like, you know, when they said Roy Rogers, Roy Rogers was kind of the guy that he'd shoot a pistol out of your hand. John Wayne was the kind of guy that would gun you down, you know? Yep. So so it, it was so funny and, like I said, surreal. And, and I love the opening gag, too. He's like, I'm no stranger. You saw me earlier today. My hair was neater. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just stuff like that just totally cracked me up. Um. But yeah, so uh, 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 all right. I think I have uh, three more clips. They're pretty short. Actually, I'm going to be able to do this. Maybe I'll even be able to get the Amityville uh, thing in here. So, so what happens next is the uh, and I'm not going to spoil the whole ending of the movie or anything like that. And there's so much to take in with this movie. It's really fun. And um, there's um, oh wait a second. Oh no no no. There's oh yeah. Oh no. I'm sorry. There's five more clips. Michelle, you're going to love this because apparently somebody was watching the gunfight 
and he pulls up on a motorcycle to uh, consult. And of course, this is totally again Roger Corman's last film with the uh, AIP, and uh, a stranger rolls up, but not a stranger to you, rolls up on a motorcycle with a woman on the back and a bird on his shoulder. I espied you from the proud tower in the town. Perchance I may be of service. Thank you, Edgar Allan, but uh, we don't need to help, man. My uh, man, he really burned them. There were no alternatives. Maybe I could have winged him with a Dale Robertson or a Clint Eastwood. <laughs> hey, look, man, things are going great, see? Oftentimes I've heard those words repeated. Yet again, the Red Death is visited upon the land. We will survive. The Epsil is faster than a speeding bullet. Flight may be the most reckless solution. Prince Prospero learned that the wicked find no solace. But we're not wicked. Not as yet. But now that you are sole heir to our world, you will have every opportunity to achieve wickedness. So yeah, um, a motorcycle riding, <laughs> a motorcycle riding Edgar Allan Poe is an observer of morality alongside God in this. <laughs> yeah. And the guy looked really cool, but yeah, he had uh, uh, a, what, a Lenore on the back of the bike and a bird on his shoulder. That's too funny. So, uh, but yeah, that was, that was, that was good. And uh, now, Joe, were you a fan of Country Joe and the Fish? Uh, yes. All right. Well, <laughs> well. Again, Country Joe and the Fish did the whole soundtrack. Um, and boy, man, I I, I knew uh, my mom was a huge fan, and uh, I've actually listened to them. Uh, you know, Country Joe and the Fish a, a little bit. Um, but I had no idea, like, kind of how radical he was in his thinking. Um, Did you it, ever it, hear his soliloquy at uh, Woodstock? <laughs> I, I did. It's been a long time, but yeah, I did. But uh, but yeah, so so he plays a character in here called AM Radio. So so after Edgar Allan Poe comes around, and I know this just sounds insane, me describing this movie. So after Edgar Allan Poe rolls around on his motorcycle, then they go, they all go to a concert. <laughs> Um, of uh, AM radio, and that's actually Country Joe. And uh, after a set, they this is where we first find out that that God is uh, checking things out here too. And it's this is very Mel Brooks when I hear this, like you know pre you know seventies uh, 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 Mel Brooks. I am AM radio. I'm a prophet. I'm a leader. I'm. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that? A little Reiner too, Rob Reiner. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So, well, you know, they did the the um, the uh, ten thousand or the the two thousand year old man or whatever. Um, but this, like, for you know, uh, history of the world kind of stuff, it kind of reminds me of that. Uh, but again, this is nineteen seventy. So here we go. This is uh, AM radio, aka Country Joe. I am I'm a prophet. I'm a leader. I'm God's road manager. I'm here to tell you what's happening. I'm here to take your head straight. I know what's happening. I tell it like it is. I suck it to you. I keep the faith, brother. I'm AM radio. All that and more. Yes, guys and girls, cats and kitties. I'm as close to the average God figure as anyone who ever lived. As a matter of fact, if I'm not the Godhead, get it, gang? Godhead. Uh, 
If I'm not the Godhead, will the real God please play something for me? This is the real God speaking. Will the owner of the dark blue Mustang convertible, license number TUV525, please turn off your parking lights? <laughs> please turn off your parking lights. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Joe, I think you're going to, you're going to have a, a ball watching this. It is, uh, you can watch this on YouTube. That's the only place I found it. So it's illegally up there on YouTube and I watched it twice and I'm probably going to watch it a third time to try and catch more. But so there's, um, uh, the, the one part that I don't like as much about this movie, but it is a good satire about like toxic masculinity is they run into these guys who are basically, a, a, you know, a bunch of football players <laughs> who are like, we're going to pillage and loot and rape and stuff like that. They don't get into, there's no graphic depiction of any of that. Um, there's actually some quite funny, empowering uh, moments for, for female characters in the movie. Um, but... What happens is our, you know, our group of uh, uh, characters with, um, you know, Cole, Scylla, Hooper, Corley, Carlos, and Marissa, I believe. Um, they all end up in uh, this football camp. <laughs> and the football, the, the, the coach is like trying to be the leader and, you know, yeah, we're going to rape, pillage, and kill. And they they find our our you know uh, protagonists and they they keep them hostage until they figure out uh, a way to escape. And this one sympathetic uh, cheerleader says, "Hey, we we found a way to escape. Here's we, uh, follow me." And then they find the mode of escape, and I I laughed my ass off so hard at this. That's the mode. He doesn't talk. Hi, everybody. Okay, so they they take <laughs> they, they all run over to this this spot and they're like, "That's the mole. He doesn't talk, and he has a tunnel. He has this this underground tunnel that they're gonna escape through." And and again, she says, "That's the mole. He doesn't talk. Hi, everybody." <laughs> That's the mole. He doesn't talk. Hi, everybody. <laughs> that was the mole saying hi everybody mm -hmm. i just uh, i thought that was very amusing so anyway so th so they they escape and then of course cindy williams character uh marissa is pregnant in the movie and this is this whole thing is just so out of left field and funny and amusing um uh, and and again it's not dark it's not weird it's not creepy at all um and and when they get to they actually get to this place where it's like a friend just like the frame of a house out in the desert where she's going to allegedly give birth. And then there's this creepy guy running around painting graffiti on things in a raincoat like he's a flasher. And he flashes people, you know, flashes the, the protagonists. And they're just like, eh, we don't, you know, they just go on about their conversation and, and just like, okay, whatever. That dude's flashing us. Just move along. Um, but anyway, so uh, th this one though, this was probably my my favorite clip of the movie is uh, the uh, 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 let's see, Cole and Hooper and Carlos go kidnap a doctor to deliver Marissa's baby, 
and it's so weird. And this guy, he's got, he's just like some hippie kid that's like 20 years old with like tons of long red hair in a doctor's outfit, and it's so funny, but listen for the uh, the, the, the uh, uh, Marissa's uh, other musical reference here, or two. He's gonna deliver the baby! All right, everybody out! Everybody out! Rip up the water and boil the sheets! Rip up the water and boil the now sheets! Now, <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask you, are you now or have you ever been a member of any organization that advocates the violent overthrow of the government of the United States of America? Yes. Which one? The Paul Revere and the Raiders fan club. <laughs> Marissa, are you pregnant or something? Yes. Since when? Oh, uh, since Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels played the Astrodome. Marissa, it appears you're gonna have a baby! Yeah, that's why you were brought there, you stoned-out hippies. <laughs> But no, I, I, how, how funny is that? The, you know, have you ever been part of a, uh, an organization, the, <laughs> um, the Paul Revere and the Raiders fan club that that's the best. Are you now, or have you ever been a member of any organization that advocates the violent overthrow of the government of the United States of America? Yes. Which one? The Paul Revere and the Raiders fan club. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. I still like the question. Um, so you're pregnant? Since when? <laughs> like yeah, nine, yeah, like nine months ago, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Say, oh, since uh, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels at the uh, Astrodome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. So, uh, all right. So the last clip, and I'm sorry, we're running over uh, right now. There's um. Uh, so, so basically, you know, the, our, our heroes end up going the, the whole time through the movie, there's like road signs that say, Oh, visit the Oracle, visit the Oracle. They'll have all the answers. Um, I'm not going to get into that and spoil any of that, but, um, our, the, our, our heroes end up, uh, at a certain place, a Mesa. This is actually one of the, the where Roger Corman was really pissed off because, he set up this beautiful shot of all these actors on a Mesa and God was speaking to them and, uh, they cut it out of the movie, but this is towards the end, uh, where the football players catch up and the mole comes back and, you know, everybody, uh, comes out of the tunnel from, uh, you know, um, all the other characters that were stragglers and everything throughout the movie. Again, just silly and weird. But yeah, so um, and God shows a sign, uh, but uh, 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 Cole says to the football guys, "Hey, just live with us, live with us in peace. We don't have to fight." And uh, this is a little bit about how that goes. Live with us in peace. It's right. I feel a sign coming on. Yeah, sudden death quarter. <laughs> for a sign. That was a hell of a sign. Hi, everybody. <laughs> you can come out now. <laughs> so the mole shows up and uh, it says... Hi, everybody. Oh, the mole who doesn't speak. And, of course, yes. uh, all the other characters come pouring out and then uh, I'll, I'll let everybody uh, see it from there. But, yeah, this... 
This was quite a remarkable film, and I'm going to start the the end music right now and just give my final thoughts on this because it was a real treat. It was funny. Again, I expected it to be super cringy here and there, but it was not. And um, and it's a sad thing that this movie was chopped up and butchered so badly, and it caused Roger Corman to you know pull away uh, from American international pictures yeah it's tragic so, yeah it really is but joe i mean what a what a uh, you know uh time capsule country joe and the fish I doing the soundtrack to... and everything oh yeah oh yeah yeah <clears throat> so i actually got uh country joe played uh, at my workplace at one point and i got a record autographed for my buddy Matt's dad. Well, Mort from Kill the Hippies. Uh, no, no. Oh. That was Vanilla Fudge. I'm sorry. I screwed that one up. Uh, but um, Yeah, I, they used to have the poster, Feed Your Mind Live Fudge. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, alright. Uh, uh, Michelle, what do you got on the way out? All I can say is that uh, American International Pictures, even though you know, yes, they they did mess with Roger Corman's last movie, and I I don't I don't blame him for leaving. That that would have pissed me off. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen the final cut. I would love to have seen the God, you know, giving everybody the dress down at the end of the movie. But yeah, say lovey. Um, but if you have not seen any of the Poe uh, trailers that I listed, go look them out. They are fun beautiful set pieces for the most part wonderful scripts and you know the acting is amazing yes the acting is different nowadays but back you know but still there's a classic feel to them please oh. seek them out yeah just watch the movies honestly um miles what do you got um so great show tonight had a lot of fun i do want to touch on a health issue for us, um, there is this word about a new strain of coronavirus called the Delta. So if you have not been vaccinated, go get vaccinated. If they're saying it's really, it's it's nasty, even more contagious, more lethal. So um, just be careful out there, people. Yeah, quit dicking around. Keep wearing your masks until, uh, you yes. know. All right, and Joe, what do you got? Oh, just a teaser for next week. Um, as I said, there is a uh, a Scranton connection to this next Twilight Zone, and a personal connection to this next Twilight Zone. Ooh. That's very good. Yeah. So we're gonna, you know, uh, we've got a lot of audio for it, but yeah, this was uh, this was a tough show to do tonight and squeeze in all the audio we had uh, because we were all so enthusiastic about it. So. Uh, but yeah, everybody, go check out Gas. It's spelled G-A-S-S-S-S-S, I think. <laughs> and um, uh, But yeah, and, and check out uh, next week's ep episode for uh, The Mighty Casey. Looking forward to that. And uh, I think I'll send everybody out with... Um, uh, oh, why not? We could do the uh, Amityville Horror trailer. Um, what? Yeah, for uh, you know, just just to throw it in there, uh, for everybody. So good night. We'll see everybody next Friday right here on Radio for Humans on It Came from Cleveland. It
It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry. When there was still time for a little charm and elegance. It has stood empty for a long while. And at the price, it is a bargain. For a growing young family, it is almost too good to be true. What do you think? I love it. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger, in the Amityville Horror. God's peace in this house. Kathy? Father Delaney, there's something very important. after the Lutz family moved into their dream house. They were running for their lives. What happened to them is an experience in terror you will never forget. And you will believe in the Amityville horror. From the best-selling book that made millions believe in the unbelievable, the Amityville horror. Hi, everybody. 